This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we are talking Phantom Thread. Only the happiest reviews in the House of Woodcock. Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We cover some various movie topics, jump into a mostly spoiler-free review, then jump back into other fun movie topics. This is episode 314, 314. 314. Almost our seven-year anniversary. It's our pie episode. It is our pie episode. Not in March. It's kind of unfortunate they didn't line up that way. We should we should have planned this out years ago. That's that's really what we should have done. <laughs> <laughs> or just have him get do a whole bunch of specials up until March 14th. Or like an episode all about math films. Exactly, yeah. Like a, well, I mean, that, that's going to be our mind, review of... Uh, Goodwill Hunting, yeah. uh, Stand and Deliver. Stand and Deliver, exactly, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, have that well, not having anything to do with math, our main feature of the week is Phantom Thread, the latest film from director Paul Thomas Anderson, featuring the quote-unquote final performance from Daniel Day-Lewis. We'll see. Can uh, only tell. Yeah, well. We'll see. Yeah. yeah. Well, joining us yeah, it's tonight. It's good to yeah. frame that with a question mark for sure. <laughs> <laughs> joining us tonight from Fast Film Reviews, he's a model of politeness. It's Mark Hoban. Hi, everyone. Also joining us, he's the senior editor at Movie Bill. He's incurable. It's Todd Gilchrist. It's true. I'm incurable. Thanks for <laughs> leading with that. Now I have to fight back from that generalization. <laughs> <laughs> Todd, Mark, how are you both doing tonight? Very well. Yeah, great. Thanks for uh, thanks for having us on. For sure. Glad to oh, have you both sure. on. I'm looking forward to uh, discussing this film and much more on this episode. Um, let's get to it. Let's get some show notes stuff out of the way. Uh, first up, new commentary track. Are, are either of you guys a fans of the film Deep Rising? Who is a fan of Deep Rising? <laughs> <laughs> the classic Stephen Summers monster movie starring Treat Williams. <laughs> I've actually never seen Deep Rising. Same. So these are that's 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 called indifference, <laughs> not doesn't like. So I leave that open to a possibility. Todd, sounds like you're a massive fan of Deep Rising. Well, I, I mean, I've seen it, but it's probably been twenty years or something like that. Um, That'd be accurate but... since it is its twenty year anniversary <laughs> this month. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's not a good movie, um, but. You know, to each his own. Yeah, well, that's true. Uh, our our um, our thought process for the next few commentaries that we've been doing for between January, February, and March are films that bombed while, ti- while Titanic was destroying the box office and <laughs> Deep Rise. Given that we already did the film Fallen, which also yes. did not <laughs> did not uh, overtake uh, the, it, didn't, it didn't knock off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We decided to do Deep Rising because it's just fun enough and easy to talk over. And that's exactly what happened. We have a commentary track out now for Deep Rising, featuring myself, Brandon Peters, happy birthday, by the way, and Jim Dietz. Uh, so yeah, that's a that's a fun one to listen to, because we try very hard to talk about many things that can occupy 90 minutes while watching Deep Rising. <laughs> so feel free to go on to and iTunes. And we succeeded. Yeah, we did. 
What else? Uh, iTunes user ratings, good to get those. Helps out the show. Yes, Helps yes. out the people find the show. You can uh, log into iTunes. You can search for our show, Out Now with Aaron and Abe. Give us a star rating. That'd be great. You can you just give us, give us a uh, written review? That'd also be great. That would be great. I don't think we've had one in a while, so, you know, surprise us. It, it, it would be cool to get a, new, uh, get a new iTunes review. It's always cool to get <laughs> it's one. Been, it's been a minute. It has. Uh, what else? Um, let's see. Well, we're going to get to our review of Phantom Thread later on, but I do want to point out uh, my lovely girlfriend, Anna, and I, we saw the film again. I saw it again. She saw it for the first time today. And um, she had noted weeks ago on the Top Ten show, or after the Top Ten show, how last week's show, actually, our last week's really fun episode, um, how um, she hasn't been able to see all of the films that might have made it into her top ten, but she did say yep. that Phantom Thread would displace one of the films to be in her top ten. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So she is a fan of the film. Duly noted. Yeah. All right. I think that's enough show notes. So let's move on now. Let's get to Know Everybody, who each we ask each other a question or two on the podcast, try to set the tone for the podcast. We better get to Know Everybody. everybody. Thank you, Mark. That was good. I was good. That's I good. was in there. Always good to get a majority stake of the podcast. Yeah. it. I think that's that's a way to go. Todd was on mute, so he he would have joined in. <laughs> I'm I'm ready. <laughs> you you guys will never know me <laughs> as well as you want. I don't know what that means. I'm sorry. I'm just acting weird. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> hey, you have a question for us? I do have a question for you guys. Is there a Paul Thomas Anderson movie that you're just like you know? I really love that one way more than the other ones. His filmography is about eight movies, uh, minus his documentary, June June. Um, so, just curious, because I, I know that, Aaron, you bring up Punch, or Punch Drunk Love a lot, but I know that you also really love Boogie Nights. I don't know if you will love one more than the other. I mean, those are my two favorites of his. Um, mm-hmm. And I also, I am a big fan of Magnolia as well. And, yeah. I mean, there's... <laughs> No, I, for for me, it's not. There's not one that stands out as far as like this is the one. There's mm-hmm. a, a few in in okay. the realm of a film, a fil, of a filmmaker who, it, in my opinion, is yet to make a bad movie. So, uh, my favorite would be uh, Boogie Nights. I mean, I, I like uh, a few of his films, um, but Boogie Nights for me is where everything kind of came together and it's sort of handling of all these multiple characters and everything was masterful. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I loved it. It kind of remind. I always feel like that movie reminded me a little bit of American graffiti in the way that it had this sort of like, uh, you know, all these different characters that they're handling and they all kind of intertwine and, and it kind of meanders through these different people. And, and I, I've always been a fan of American graffiti and I thought Boogie Nights also kind of handled uh, you know the subject that he tackled in that sort of similar way, and I just and it's just made up of so many great performances. Um, it's it's really like I feel like everybody in that film is working at the top of their game. Yeah, Todd, I think I know your answer, but you want to share it? Oh sure, you know I mean um, Paul Thomas Anderson, my favorite living filmmaker, and Boogie Nights is my favorite film of all time. So um, so it's Punch Drunk Love. Um, no, um, <laughs> no. For a loop there. yeah, no, no, no. I, um, I mean, uh, Boogie Nights is also the movie I have seen the most times in the movie theater, I think, uh, which I think at this point is like 15 or 16. 
Holy cow. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I saw it 12 times during its original run. So wow. that, that was wow, one of that's awesome. That is <laughs> were you, were phenomenal. You a, were you a projectionist at this time? <laughs> uh, well, I did have the luxury of working at a movie theater. Well, I, I, one, I worked at a movie theater that was showing it. And yeah. then I had a friend who he and I would, we watched movies. He was a projectionist working at a different theater and I would go over and hang out and we would just watch it over and over and over again. But, um, but yeah, no, I, um, I love all of his films. I was actually, was, I was, I was trying to think cause I thought your question was going to be, which of his films is your least favorite? No, and I would I, never do that to you, Todd. Um, and honestly, i realized that I think that it would be, uh, there will be blood. Mm. I think mm. that was least favorite. So successful. That's, yeah, that's a pretty great film. Yeah, I mean, in my and, opinion, sure, and and not even that it's not a good film, but just in terms of my personal right. uh, connection with it, I think that's the one that I had maybe the least. I, I, it's probably the one I've seen the least times. So, Inherent Vice never resonated with me. That that I, was one that just I yeah. wasn't a fan, and and I know it has you know very you know devoted adherents and obviously i guess there, a there lot are, of them are on there this are podcast. two fans of this podcast <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah i was that one just left me cold so i, yeah. I was never really a fan of that understandable see like um, the only yeah sorry go ahead, go I, ahead I, I was gonna say i was i was uh well, i rewatched there will be blood not too long ago um which is a film i've always i've admired more than i love but i do really like the film like it's just, like if i want to go by stars it's like it's a four out of five but i still really like the movie and it's very watchable um, but the master is one also where I, it's one that I feel like I want to like more than I actually do. I certainly like the film and I think there's a lot of great stuff in it, particularly the performances by Joaquin Phoenix and, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, but it's one where like my, I don't gravitate towards watching it in the same way I do with other PTA films. Yeah. It, it's great to look at. I mean, the, the scene that I think about a lot is, uh, when he's walking through the field and you just like this like super broad scope it's like well this is this is really beautiful i mean it's 70 millimeter right by the way todd i aspire to get on that level of at least 12 movie viewings in a theater i don't think i've ever gotten even close to that with any movie so one day i'll just i'll, I'll be able to hit it i'll be like todd todd's proud right now <laughs> i will be proud i will be proud as long as it's the movie it belongs as boogie nights oh. and no oh. other movie I'll say this. Um, after watching The Last Jedi for a third time, it's uh-huh. like I could keep watching this movie in theaters if they like just let, if they just let it play. That said, I could say that the, I could say the same thing about most Star Wars movies. If they just let it play, I'd probably show up at least once a month. Um, but Scott Pilgrim, I think, might be the one. And it's not even like my favorite. It's not even my favorite. Edgar Wright how, how many times did you watch that one? But I, well, I've because I saw it like three times when it was in theaters. Yeah. I've but seen you've it, seen it like sixty thousand more times since. No, but it, but <laughs> specifically in theaters. So I've, yeah. seen, I've seen movies more than I've seen Scott Pilgrim, but specifically in theaters because I've seen it like at its. There's like a there's like a fun like theater down here that does like um, like like fun revival type shows with like audience yeah. interaction. Yeah. So I've seen it once that way. Um, I've. I saw it at the damn premiere of the movie, so I've seen it like five or six times in in theatrical screenings. I'm trying to think of other ones that I've seen that many times. I, I know there's a number of that I've seen four times at least. Yeah. Kill Bill's one. Um, Kill Bill Both volume. Volumes? Kill, Kill Bill volume two specifically. I only okay. saw the first one like once, and then I saw the whole bloody affair at the New Beverly Cinema once. So that, I mean, that makes it twice by default. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, no, the, yeah. I think I was at that screening. Probably yeah, the whole... had, yeah. That was, that's a whole different topic, but that is a yeah. cool experience to see that whole thing, but kind of the way he intended. 
Mm, okay. Well, that's a good question. What's yours, Aaron? Uh, my question? Yeah. It's simple. Can you sew? No. <laughs> well, maybe. Maybe. I, I kind of want to say simple sewing. Yeah, that's <laughs> I mean, I can patch. I can I can sew things back. I can sew a button back on. I can, uh, I can, I can barely a, I, I sew can, a button back I can, on. I can fix a small <laughs> rip, but that's, yeah. that's the extent of my talents. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Todd, how about you? Can you sew? Um, not really now. Um, when I was a kid, I mean, I, I was actually thinking about this recently because <clears throat> my dad is a person who's into sports. He's not a super macho guy, but he always was sort of into more traditionally masculine uh, hobbies and pastimes. And I was a kid when I was like six and seven who wanted to go to the library and get a book about how to like sew and things like that. And I remember I actually – uh, learned how to make a pot holder that I made for my mom, and that was when I was a kid. But I think I've completely unlearned any of the skills that were related to uh, that sort of self-education. So I don't think I could actually do anything now. I can take things to a dry cleaner. So that I can do really good. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, this this explains why you are the best dressed child. I mean, it's been uh, in you forever. <laughs> yes. Let's, yeah. not, let's not overinflate this right away. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, let's let's continue, please. <laughs> Let's drill into this. All right, I want I wanted to bring up something else, Abe, because we, I was I was kind of debating how we could you put place it into the show, but I put up a poll question on the Out Now Facebook page. Yeah, I saw that, and I, I figured it'd be a good good question for like the round you know the whole podcast roundtable discussion before we move on to other things. Um, the question was very simple. Um, it was RoboCop versus Terminator, and the kind of the thing I added to that is. The one that you choose, if the other one, if so, you choose one, that means the other one is just eliminated from existence. That means there's no sequels, bad or good, there's no remakes. That's a tough question. The the director's career changes path entirely. There's no iconic lines or moments because that film doesn't exist anymore. Pop culture is affected. The actors. (laughs) So if you had to choose between those two, would it be Robocop or Terminator? Now, the results based off our Facebook page audience. um, Yeah is uh, a landslide. It was Terminator 83% versus RoboCop 17%. Um, and I asked, and I mean, I feel like I could have guessed that going in. That said, I do think there's a very good argument for RoboCop. That said, I look forward to putting up more questions that are hopefully more <laughs> challenging in the future. Um, but what say you guys, if you had to choose between RoboCop and Terminator, given the parameters that I just said? I, I was going to say Terminator, no question. Like, I, I don't have a problem at all answering that. Same, same. We're talking about the, and when you say the Terminator, you mean that's the one you could get rid of, or that's the one you would. Keep? No, no, that I want to keep. That, that you want to keep. So keep which would you vote for? You vote for the for RoboCop or the Terminator? Hmm. Oh, that's really tough. I mean, given that I've, I mean, another movie that I've seen a billion times, the Terminator Two. <laughs> um, See, that's that's why it makes it difficult. Exactly. Because Terminator I mean, that's what makes. I mean, yeah. That's what makes it really hard because I yeah. do think probably and like RoboCop may be a better film than terminator Mm -hmm. but i'm not sure that like it's worth getting rid of terminator and have to get rid of terminator 2 so uh, that's very difficult very difficult there's a simplicity to the original terminator though that i do appreciate i realize terminator 2 is kind of where the series sort of kicked it up into high gear and that's where like everyone embraced it but there's such a almost indie aesthetic to the original oh, Terminator. It's, it's it so low budget. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and and there's sort of, I, there's something about it that I really 
still enjoy. So. Well, I'll, I'll say this: RoboCop, Terminator, and Terminator Two are all on my favorite movies list. So it's like, yeah, it, it is yeah. a difficult decision, and I think they're all. All, all three of these films, I think, have their merits. But obviously, yes, if you're getting rid of one, it's a weird stealth question because it really means getting rid of Terminator 2. Uh, so it's, I understand the difficulty in, you know, kind of laying out those that, those answers. But um, Just to be clear, like, I love the original Terminator. I'm just, it's like one of those things where, like, that was a real formative time right there for me. So, like, watching terminator especially robocop which was like one of the first r-rated movies i was allowed to watch mm -hmm. and then and then terminator 2 i think it would put me in a very difficult position i have to i really am going to be reflecting on this uh, well i like giving you moral moral challenges during this podcast <laughs> so feel free to feel, yeah it is it's it's it's, moral. it's a high it's it's a high stakes. It's a real Sophie's choice. Oh yeah, no, this yes. no, choosing RoboCop versus Terminator is like is 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 like watching the battle between people about three billboards on Twitter. It's just really complicated. But um <laughs> What do you so... mean? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but feel free to shout out your answer at random if you th if you want to at some point during this podcast time. Um but okay. Abe, I think this this should be fun. I think if we kind of keep doing a poll question every now and then, and then I think so. Kind of yeah, it in. especially especially I don't know. They're not they're not always going to be as dire as this one, but poll questions are fun in general. I think it generally adds to our our listener interaction and the feedback. So that's what we love. And it, like you know, we get these cool panel of guests every week. So you know, nice nice to hear everybody's opinions. This be true. All right. Well, that's how you play. No, no everybody. No everybody. No everybody. <laughs> nice. Thank you. My timing was perfect. It was great. Let's get out of quickies. Tim. Tim. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not supposed to repeat that. That's Each... pretty good, though. <laughs> Alan was doing it all last week, so you're, Look, you're... <laughs> there are t there have been like a time or two where Abe wasn't on the show, and so I've, I've been happy to hear that one when I was editing. I was like, "Oh, <laughs> oh good. I'm glad. I <laughs> hope I do you justice." Yeah, it was great. Each took it out that way when we do it. talk about the quickies. Tim. You guys had to, you know, BS your way through that, so I had to, you know, speed up a bit. <laughs> uh, Abe, have you seen any other movies this week? I haven't seen any other movies this week, and I'm sad about that. I mean, you had such great options. Den of Thieves is, you know... I've heard interesting oh, things about wrong. it. Mm. Uh, Mark, how about you? Have you seen any other movies this week? Or well, I haven't been on the show for a while, but I did see uh, a, a couple weeks ago, I, I did actually break down, and I went and saw Jumanji. And I sort of had avoided it because I really... <laughs> you broke down honest, and saw a well-reviewed, well-liked movie? <laughs> well, it, to be honest, it didn't appeal to me, but okay. I was happy to report that it, it was an enjoyable film. It's kind of... It's delightful. Yeah, it's 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 fun. And I thought Jack Black was incredible. <laughs> like, he was really... He, like, made the movie for me. But um, but the whole movie was enjoyable, and, and, uh, and I can see why it's a big hit. Um, so uh, I enjoyed that. I, 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 oh, I have yeah. also seen uh, the post that was also kind of a while ago, but it's still kind of in, you know, it's in theaters right now. And uh, I, I did enjoy it. Um, I think it suffers a little bit in the fact in a post spotlight world because spotlight was so incredible and there is sort of a similarity in its sort of point of view and like what it's trying to say. And I don't think it rises to that level, but it it is a well acted, enjoyable film, and uh, I think it's you know something that is you know worth seeing. Yeah, I would say it shares that point of view, not the least of which because it was co written by the guy who wrote Spotlight, which I think is a better movie as well. Yeah, I agree with you, Mark. 
Well, Todd, how about you? What else? What other movies have you seen? <clears throat> oh, well, I saw Den of Thieves, y'all. Yes! Um, <laughs> yes, I did. I went to a screening on, on Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever yeah. day it happened, and I was like, surely I'm going to see some other people here uh, that I know. <laughs> and it turned out that was not the case. I did not see anyone that I knew at the screening, which I was, it was one of the things where I'm like, I can't be the only one reviewing this movie. Um, but, um, you know, for as one of my colleagues on, uh, on Twitter, I referred to it as a red box heat. And, um, that is kind of a, a absolutely fair assessment. Um, it's, I don't think it's like a great movie, but, uh, surprisingly effective for a movie that is desperate to chase and imitate uh, a Michael Mann classic crime film. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's not terrible. And then the other movie that I actually saw this week, I sat down, uh, I'm writing for a a, mili- a magazine called military officer magazine. Um, and I'm writing a column each month about basically like older films because we can't see things far enough in advance. Uh, and I, so I watched, uh, wings, which is the first movie ever to win best picture. Um, and that movie, I, I had seen it before, but, uh, it's really good. It's really, really good. Glad to so, hear that. D- Den of thieves is two hours and 20 minutes long. Yes, it is. Wow. Oh, I didn't realize that. That seems, but I mean, you know, he was also <laughs> like, well, Heat's, you know, as Todd said, a classic. Heat heat. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I could keep watching Heat. Right? Yeah, I could, I could definitely. Well, maybe not all of it, but I, I certainly can watch the uh, the shootout. No, I'm saying if the, if he if Heat was still going, like as in it's well, what geez, what is it like 23 years old? If it was still going like that long, I'd probably still be watching it. I'd still be having yeah. content with that. It's that good. Yeah, it's yeah. that. Good. <laughs> um. I've seen a few things. Um, actually, we mentioned this last week's show, and Mark, you just mentioned Jack Black. Um, I watched The Polka King on Netflix. Um, this is a film which features Jack Black as a real-life person uh, who was the Polka King of uh, Pennsylvania. And he got involved in a Ponzi scheme, essentially, to make his empire grow. And I think the movie is entertaining as far as in, in terms of like the Jack Black plays fictional people or plays plays a plays a actual nonfiction people um, in films that are like dramedies. I think Bernie is a better film, uh, but mm. but the, there's a, there's a there's an enjoyable movie in there. I think the the there's a kind of a lack of further depth to the character Jack Black is playing that seems missing. Uh, but as far as getting him and a bunch of funny people together to kind of make a crime comedy, this is enjoyable. Uh, I've yet to watch the documentary that this film was inspired by about the actual Polka King, but I'm still interested in seeing that. But um, it is neat to see Jack Black kind of, as, as well as being Jack Black type characters, it's neat to see him kind of portray somebody. And this is like, a for what it's doing, I, I enjoyed it for the most part. Yeah. One of these days, and I don't know when it will happen, mm-hmm. but Jack Black is going to get nominated for an Academy Award. Oh, I can see that happening. I'm, I, I can see that happening. I've loved him in so many films. I, I loved him in School of Rock. Uh, and you mentioned Bernie. I mean, he actually, that was kind of an interesting, very quirky mm-hmm. kind of film. Yeah. Um, very underseen, so not something that got a lot of attention. But his work in that is really really extraordinary and i don't know somewhere along the line i think people are going to realize why has this guy kind of gone unnoticed yeah. i mean he's he's noticed but he's not like he's never been sort of you know he's never been nominated for an academy award and i think 
he's worthy of that. Well, when he gets one of those indie roles that taps into what makes him funny, but he doesn't have to play it so broad. Well, he was in, he was in High Fidelity. I mean, that's a film. Yeah, but that... it's still but it's still but it's still it's a it's a broad role for him in the midst of a movie that's about a serious relationship problem. <laughs> and I would say, I mean, I would. T- t- I would agree that that is a fantastic performance that he is, but also I feel like that was uh, the movie I think is so sort of marginalized as, as not serious enough to merit that recognition. Um, but also it was kind of a breakout performance for him a little bit. He wasn't quite, he had not really sort of catapulted onto into the mainstream at that point yet. I feel like, which is maybe why again, he didn't get the recognition that he deserved. Yeah, I believe he has I a mean, Golden it, Globe nomination for School of Rock, if I'm not mistaken, though. Yeah, right, is, and and which counts Golden for Globe, everything, as we know. And, no, and Golden Globe, <laughs> no, Golden Globe nomination for Bernie as well. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, you're right. But no, I could I can see him like reteaming with Richard Linklater at some point for like another film that could get him some kind of Oscar cred. I can see that happening. After After Midnight. After After Midnight, yeah, he plays like he plays Ethan Hawke's like long lost cousin who comes in with him and Julie Delpy for an afternoon. <laughs> and, and I, can see it. I can see it happening. Obviously, this is not an Academy Award type performance, but he's in a movie with Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart, two really over the top personalities, and Jack Black holds his own in that film. I mean, he's you notice him, so you know, I I, I think he's he's a talent. I mean, they didn't get Jack Black because he might be good. He's Jack Black. He's he's a really funny person. Right, but when they're advertising that film, they're they're promoting Dwayne Johnson, they're promoting Kevin Hart. You know, I mean, Ke- Jack Black is on the is on the posters and everything, but it's definitely, I think, those are the people that they're you know they're using to kind of get you to see the film. And sure, yes. personally, after I saw the film, I walked out of there thinking, oh my gosh, Jack Black was hilarious in that. All right, cool. I saw a couple other movies I wanted to make note uh-huh. of. Uh, first is Mary and the Witch's Flower. Do you guys know this film? Nope. I, it's an animated film, yeah. Yes. Oh, that one. It's an anime um, from Studio Panak, which is made up right. of animators that were formerly in Studio Ghibli. Um, this film very much has a, the same kind of feel aesthetic. and aesthetic as a, as a Studio Ghibli production. Um, and it's very enjoyable. It's about this young redheaded woman um, in England. Or, you know, it's not really, I don't think it's direct, directly named, but she's voiced by Ruby Barnhill of the BFG uh, fame. And she finds oh. she finds a flower that gives her magical abilities, and she becomes a witch essentially. And she flies on a broom into the clouds and finds that there's a magical school up in the clouds. And Kate Winslet and Jim Broadbent voice the um, kind of teachers that are in that school, and they may be up to no good. Um, and she just gets into some adventures involving witchcraft and magic. And it's very it's a very fun and enjoyable movie. Um, I, I mean, would... it's, it's mm-hmm. the same director as when Marnie was there. Marnie and was there in Secret World of Arietti. From up on Poppy Hill. Yeah, Secret World of Arietti. Yeah, so he, he's a I mean, he's definitely he's one of those at... very well-known uh, directors in the world of anime. For sure. And it got a uh, like a limited release this past weekend. Like I had like a Fathom event thing, but also like a, get like a small release. And uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I wouldn't say it's necessarily one of the like the... If I had to compare it against like some of the Studio Ghibli's films, I wouldn't say it's like a new classic, but it's certainly an enjoyable one worth watching. Like Abe, you and I were big fans of Secret World of Arietti, and I put it yeah. on the same level of that film as far as I liked like, it yeah, quite a bit. A yeah, well, I think you'd like this one quite a bit too. Yeah, and I look forward to seeing what else Studio Panda uh, comes out with, given that I guess Ghibli's kind of, but I mean, uh, 
Miyazaki's, you know, he's he's coming back with another film. He's now. coming back. Yeah. So it's like, exactly. never yeah, know what's up with this back. guy. He's always throwing me a curveball. He's always retiring, <laughs> coming back. Well, it's very appropriate, you know, people who have announced their retirement and then, like, yeah. come back. So yeah, he's, a, he's a Steven I've, Soderbergh. I've, I've, never, I've never heard this before. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> and the last one I want to mention is 12 Strong, the other uh, big release of the week in addition yep. to the two-hour and 20-minute Den of Thieves. Uh, that just shocked my mind. When it was, it's, it's two hours and twenty. The fifty cent drama to out of thieves. Two hours twenty minutes. Anyway, uh, twelve strong. Uh, this is movie uh, based. It's a war film based off true events about these soldiers that were they they, they soldiers these um, green berets, the army green berets that went into Afghanistan very shortly after the nine eleven attacks. The, Chris Hemsworth plays the captain of said team. Um, he and others, including Michael Shannon, Michael Pena, uh, they join forces with an Afghan of a Northern Alliance leader. Um, uh, dust stuff, uh, dust Dustin, um, in, in an effort to kind of go after. Was that a word? Yeah, dust dust Dustin. It, it was actually a sneeze. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, they go they go out in an effort to like go after like Taliban forces and break that up. Um, it's it's good. It's fine. It's it's a good okay. movie. I would say compared to some of the other movies of this ilk that have recently come around, I mm-hmm. it's not in, it's not too deep. But at the same time, the there's a key relationship between Hemsworth and the the Afghani leader that I think works pretty well as far as giving the movie something to be more about as opposed to just how great the American military is. Um, the men involved in this, they, you know, they accomplish something that's very notable and certainly, you know, worth giving praise to. But as far as these kind of movies go, um, this is one of the better ones. I think what helps is that it's a Jerry Bruckheimer production. Um, and did that, you just say what helps is that it's a Jerry I think, no I do honestly, no honestly I do I think that that kind of stamp like, well I mean the last one of those that's a Jerry Bruckheimer production that I really liked was uh, Black Hawk Down I mean that was like his one of his mm-hmm. last like straight action movies before he went all pirates and Lone Ranger and all that and th- this was not as good as Black Hawk totally Down totally forgot about Lone Ranger <laughs> this is not as good as Black Hawk Down but I think it, it, it adds something as opposed to something that's more empty and if not ugly uh, as far as how movies like this tend to work uh, sure. i wish um hemsworth's fine it's just he doesn't get to do much beyond the kind of stoic leading man type and knowing oh. that hemsworth is such a charismatic and very funny person i don't need him to be cracking jokes every 10 seconds but at the same time giving him a little bit more to do would have been nice to see um but yeah i mean it's for you know a january war movie release so it's it's fine and yeah i mean the cast is impressive yeah michael shannon michael Michael it's got trevante rhodes of moonlight fame Mm -hmm. so i mean it's definitely something that sort of from the cast alone it kind of has me intrigued yeah no as i said i think it i think it does the job for for what it's doing cool so yeah that's out of quickies yep <clears throat> let's move on now let's get to trailer talk where we talk about one of the newest movie trailers of the week what we thought of it and what have you and this week we're talking annihilation the upcoming film from writer director alex garland who of course gave us ex machina it's based off the book annihilation by jeff vandermeer the film stars natalie portman jennifer jason lee tessa thompson and oscar isaac um it seems to involve a. I'm trying to be as vague as possible. But, uh, it seems to involve. Yeah, a, don't spoil the trailer for everybody. Uh, it's, it, it, it the seems, trailer is vague. It's, yeah, well, the, it seems to involve a group of soldiers that enter some kind of zone that has dangerous things inside of it, and um, a group of female soldiers. Yes, group of female soldiers. Natalie Portman's a biologist, and um, hashtag female soldier. And, um, 
and uh, th- th- things get deadly from there. I'll just put it that way. I am aware that the film, this made headlines that the kind of a test screening happened that proved that the film might be too intellectual for some people, which I found to be quite amusing. <laughs> that, was, that was an really? amusing, that was some amusing feedback that too I saw. Intellectual. <laughs> too intellectual for audiences. This was the one, it's one of the uh, um, complaints mm. or things about it. But with all that said, uh, has anyone read the book, by the way? I have not. Mm, no, I haven't. Okay, well let's let's start let's start with Todd. How about you? What did you think of the trailer? Um, it looks good. No, uh, <laughs> no, it's it's uh, no. It, like I I I I need to probably revisit Ex Machina because I only watched it like in a uh, less than optimal format. I watched it on an airplane once, and I, <gasps> I and I really liked it. But it's a movie that I was like. Horror. Like I know it was one where I had I had not had an opportunity to see it, and finally I was like on a flight, and I'm like, well, I might as well watch this, and I actually thought it was fantastic. But um, but I uh, watched you, the trailer. So let's describe this. When you say on a, were you like on like your iPad or on the plane's actual stupid monitor that's terrible and crappy? Like how did you how on did you the watch plane's the terrible monitor? Oh wow! Oh my god! You must think this movie's amazing when you actually see it on a real screen. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that I will. Okay. Um, but I, but no, I, I, um, I thought it, um, I, like I like him, and I would be very interested to um, see a world. And I, I, I do actually like the idea of uh, what Mar- what he was saying about there being female uh, sort of soldiers going and exploring and investigating this. That's, I mean, irrespective of even it being an adaptation of a book, I think that's um, a very intriguing premise that i feel like needs to happen on the scale and it's probably overdue so i'm looking mm-hmm. forward to it mark how about you what do you think of the trailer um so the trailer seems to be made up of elements that i've seen before uh it recalled alien it recalls arrival um i mean maybe a few other films as well in there but uh i'm intrigued i mean the fact that alex garland is directing it i i did enjoy ex machina uh, he wrote 28 Days Later. He wrote Sunshine. Um, uh, I guess he was the... He wrote Dread, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Dread. Yeah, yeah. yeah he was so... the producer of 28 Weeks Later. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, his resume already has me on board. So I, I'm, I'm definitely intrigued by it. Uh, so... It, I I will say like the trailer does look kind of uh, I've seen this before it it doesn't seem unique but it's also very ambiguous so I, I'm really not ex- I and I haven't read the book so I don't know exactly what's going to happen it does sort of look maybe like it has something to do with a plant biology <coughs> that kind of thing which reminds me of like David Cronenberg kind of you know, biological horror, Mm -hmm. which I do like. Mm -hmm. Um, So that also has me intrigued. So, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely down to see it. Abe, how about you? I think given the the Alex Garden resume, I'm I'm pretty excited about it as well. Um, It actually excites me even more when you said that audiences felt, some audiences felt that it was too academic. (laughs) I was like, hell yeah! This is is the kind of movies that... Yeah, exactly. These are the movies that we should be looking forward to, you know, in terms of sci-fi or uh, whatever else. I mean, it's adapted from a book, so I, you know, it's gotta be better than... What was that? What's that lame book? The Relic. It's gotta be better than The Relic, right? 
Uh, but um, the in any relic? case, the relics yeah. are called. How is that, how is that <laughs> even a reference? I don't know. It was just you know, <laughs> it, it, probably because of like the weird exist. animals that you're seeing in the trailer. I was just like, this is weird. <laughs> but the only thing that I, I'm kind of curious about is the the rainbow glitter effect. And I was like, I hope that they kind of. I don't know if that's the final tweak, mm-hmm. but um, you know, it looks a little interesting. Maybe another render of it. But um, that's probably the only thing that's kind of. Uh, I was like, okay, this looks a little bit weird. It, it kind of reminds me of when we were watching um, Arrival. We were just like, you know, when she's being lifted up into the spaceship, you could kind of looks a little bit off. So, um, but no, I'm I'm excited. I mean, again, we mentioned all these movies that Alex Garland has been a part of, and those are all movies that I would recommend people to go see. Definitely would watch on an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Uh, I dig the score so far. Like I. Ah. I ho- I hope that this is that's part of the actual score for the film. Uh, but that just that, that's a way of me saying I like Alex Garland and what he does in his films. Um, I'm a fan of a lot of films that he's been a writer on. I'd be like I really like Ex Machina. That was on my top ten list yet year. Um, this is a very good cast, and I would agree with Mark. There are a lot of familiar elements in this trailer. Um, Anna's been describing it as a, like scary arrival essentially, and it doesn't seem that far off. At the same time, though, like Abe, you said. I am more intrigued because of the fact that some audiences are perplexed by the movie. That makes me think, oh, this trailer is just giving you kind of some basic highlights to get you into the seat, but there might be a lot more going on here than, you know, meets the eye. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I I already didn't have a reason not to look forward to a new Alex Garland film, but, yeah, the idea that there might be more here than just kind of vague notions of things you've seen before does excite me. So, yeah, I, I'm all, all ready for Annihilation, uh, which arrives in theaters February 23rd. So there you go. Coming soon. Nice. Alright. Well guys, let's uh let's move on. Wait a minute. February twenty third. That's like that's the weekend that Black Panther also comes out. Nope, that's the no, weekend after. week after. Oh, after. Okay. Phew. Some of us are on top of our Black Panther okay. release schedule, Abe. <laughs> Black I'm Panther like, oh no, is... what am I going to do? <laughs> Black Panther is your Valentine's Day movie. Got it, got mm-hmm. it. Okay, got it. <laughs> Thank you. That's right. That's true, that's true. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's trailer talk. Let's move on now, guys. Let's get to our main review for Phantom Thread. You can sew almost anything into the canvas of a coat. When I was a boy, I started to hide things in the linings of the garments. Things that only I knew were there. Secrets. Good morning. Will you have dinner with me? Yes. I feel as if I've been looking for you for a very long time. You look beautiful. Very beautiful. I have things I want to do. Things I simply cannot do without you. Reynolds has made my dreams come true. And I've given him what he desires most in return. (laughs) Every piece of me. Why are you not married? (laughs) All right, that should have been some of the trailer for Phantom Thread. Paul Thomas Anderson has had quite the varied career. Regardless of how much commercial acclaim he has received, his films have spanned genres and time periods while maintaining a few common themes shared between them. Reteaming with Daniel Day-Lewis, their latest effort together, sorry, 
Let me say that again. Retaming of Yando Day-Lewis, their last effort together being the Oscar-winning character epic There Will Be Blood, we now have Phantom Thread, a 1950s-set drama about a renowned dressmaker who meets a younger, strong-willed woman named Alma. She becomes his muse, but also challenges a life that depends heavily on control. Todd, I believe your very first episode with us on this podcast was for Inherent Vice, Paul Thomas Anderson's last film. Yeah, I think that's right. What did you think of his latest film? It sucks. <laughs> uh, no, I think that it's utterly fantastic. I, you know, I saw it a month ago, whenever it was that we were right before I was supposed to do the voting for the LA Film Critics Association, of which I am lucky enough to be a member, and um, and I really liked it. Um, you know, I sort of liked its sort of um, mischievousness, and and it's a, a beautiful film. Um, but <clears throat> I went and watched it again this weekend, and and realized that I just like absolutely adore it. Um, you know, I mean like it's, uh, sort of expertly dismantles, um, like a lot of the tropes of, you know, sort of, uh, creative geniuses and the long suffering people around them. Uh, you know, it, it sort of takes apart that, that sort of narrative, um, uh, trope and, and, and puts and creates a character in, in Alma who like refuses to sort of be, uh, ignored or discounted. Um, and yet, you know, what it does is it creates a portrait of a relationship that I feel like no human being should aspire to have, but I feel like is, um, sort of weirdly and undeniably, um, recognizable in, in a certain way that, that I think is, uh, kind of really important. Uh, and I just absolutely loved it. Mark Hoban. I believe you've been on somewhat of a sliding scale downward with the past few Paul Thomas Anderson films, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean, I had cooled a little bit on Paul Thomas Anderson's work as of late. And, uh, I mean, I loved There Will Be Blood. Uh, That was the last movie I truly adored. Um, The Master, I I think, was... I mean, there was a lot of interesting elements of it, but Inherent Vice was something that I really didn't embrace. Um, And... This is sort of a welcoming me back into the fold. I thought uh, Phantom Thread was a really well-told tale. I really enjoyed the relationship that Paul Thomas Anderson is detailing in this film. And it's, it's definitely one of those films that you have to kind of stick with. Because as I was watching the film, I really wasn't sure where he was going with it. But at no time was I never not completely captivated by this relationship. And uh, it's got this trio of performances. Uh, of course, Daniel Day-Lewis, as always, is you know extraordinary as the, the main character, Reynolds Woodcock. And then he has uh, his sister, uh, Cyril, played by Leslie Manville, who is this very, very strict kind of uh, almost similarly disciplinarian type as him. Uh, and they together are sort of a uh, – they run this house of fashion together. And then into this fold comes Vicky Creeps, uh, the actress, uh, who portrays Alma uh, as this latest mute in his life. And I like this sort of – portrayal of this character that Daniel Day-Lewis 
he's he's gone through a lot of different women. It, it's sort of established that he has lots of muses in his life, and he goes through them one after the other, and then once he tires of them, Cyril, kind of as his sister, sort of dismisses them and then welcomes the next one into the fold. But he didn't sort of account for uh, Alma, and he is a very sort of domineering type personality, but for once he's sort of met someone that is his match. And I love the way that the drama sort of introduces this character as someone that's sort of shy and reticent. Um, we first meet her. She's an, uh, a waitress in a, in a hotel, and he's ordering breakfast. And breakfast is sort of an important part of this film. It's a lot of things happen at breakfast uh, throughout the film. Uh, you know, throughout, it's kind of like the meal in which you sort of start to understand these different characters. Uh, but anyway, he, he meets this uh, woman, Alma, uh, as the waitress, and she does seem sort of like not really altogether uh, sure of herself, and she stumbles uh, in the, you know, uh, hotel as he's uh, ordering his food and everything but as the as the film develops i love the way that paul thomas anderson sort of subverts your expectations and re realize that uh alma is not as shy and reticent as we initially thought and this is sort of a character that is developed over time and uh it is sort of this uh power play in a relationship uh, where it, it seems that Reynolds has the upper hand because he is sort of the uh, domineering, um, celebrated couture, but we we learn that Alma is his match, and and I liked that sort of interplay throughout the film. All right, <clears throat> Abe, how about you? What do you think of the Phantom of Phantom Thread? If you were to to corner me in an alleyway and you were like, Abe, notes. let me do this, okay. <laughs> Abe, in order for you to leave this alleyway unharmed, I need you to encompass the fan. Or fan I just did it now. You, <laughs> you, you, you just introduced the Phantom Thread into my brain now. But uh, if you were to if you were to encompass Phantom Thread into one word, what would you what would you use? The term that I would use is exquisite. And <laughs> I think that there's there's a caveat with that though too, because I, I think that this movie is definitely. It's it's great to look at. It's shot very well. Paul, Paul Thomas Anderson apparently was given credit for cinematography on this. Um, the music selection is fantastic. Um, Actually, there's that's... no cinematographer. They have a lighting cameraman, which is a term that they use for British films. But um, but he has, I will say, just to be very clear, he has he has been emphatic that <clears throat> he credits like all the people who worked with him. Yeah. He, uh, okay. He, did not he, take... he won't he right. won't take credit. I I. I read an interview where he will sort of say the there are other the the other people within the production he sort of defers to them. Um, so nobody is getting a hundred percent credit. credit but, yeah. I'm I'm yeah. glad because IMDb should update that then because they they kind of say uncredited for it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. No, that makes perfect sense because I mean again it's just shot beautifully the production design the costume design everything in this movie is exquisite but. I can honestly say at the end of it, the day, if somebody were to, if I'm still in the alleyway, people were like, okay, well, should I go see it? It's like, I don't know. Because I think that it's really, really great to look at. And it's kind of great to explore this slowly unraveling thread of a movie. 
but some people are going to be really disappointed in the way that it ends. It doesn't sound like anybody no. here, but I, I'm I'm kind of very like <laughs> the ending is brilliant. The ending is crazy. That's what made it for me. Yeah, the ending is crazy, and I kind of didn't expect it, but at the same time, I I enjoyed watching it. But would I say that it's something that would be that I'm in love with? Not really, which is a weird thing for me to to feel because. I think that there's so much going for this movie. There's a lot of great uh, elements to it, but I, I just don't know. It, it's really strange. Like, I, I think that in terms of uh, the the story itself, it kind of takes a while, and, and some people might not like that. So, I, I'm I'm it, it's a good movie to me, and I like watching it. But I don't know if I could say, you know, hey, you you should watch this two hour and thirty minute movie about. Uh, a tailor um, and a designer in the 1950s. Yeah, it's two hours and change. Um, I know Todd's like seething with reasons to talk I, about things. I know, yeah, I, he, but he's I, like, I'm gonna strangle Abe right now. But but I but I'm going to go first. Um, <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm biding my time. I'm biding my time. Um, I really like this movie a lot. I think it's very well performed. I think it's fantastically well made. Uh, the some of the biggest intrigue I've ever had for a movie that has an embargo on it was this film, uh, because I tend to understand why certain films have you know review embargoes for various reasons involving you know spoilers or whatnot for movies that have giant twists in them or what have you. And I well I'm not going to you know directly reveal things that happen in Phantom Thread and it's certainly not as mysterious as you know who shot this person or what have you. There there was a I was a bit more intrigued because of the, you know, embargo for this film being very strict. And I was like, well, what's going on in Phantom Thread that's making it, like, have this kind of reaction as far as when I could release a review for it? And seeing it, like, I I can kind of understand why. Because, Mark, as you kind of described, it does subvert sort of expectations involving the relationship had between uh, between um, Woodcock, between Reynolds and Alma. Um, and... It also leads to another thing that I like about this movie. It's kind of a stealth romantic comedy by way of Hitchcock. The, the, <laughs> the, the, the way, way to describe the it. Way it. Paul Thomas Anderson has admitted that he was inspired by Hitchcock and specifically films like Rebecca. And that's mm -hmm. very evident when you watch this, especially if you're familiar. I mean, even there's even like a I watched it again today with Anna, and there's like a, there's a shot that's right out of Psycho, where he's looking through the people at at Alma while she's kind of parading right. around in her dress. There's there's a lot of that in here. What I like about I mean, one of the things I like about Paul Thomas Anderson is his movies, each of them tends to be taking inspiration from different films, and this one's no different. Not that he's not you know original in his own way, but he certainly likes to pay his own level of homage, and it's all over this film as far as the the type of era that we're watching this in and the era. You you could relate this film to other films the use of <clears throat> the use of various camera angles the way these relationships are defined how these people are related to each other there's so much of that here that makes me once again see a film that's so indebted to what paul thomas anderson loves about filmmaking and what he loves about film in general and what he's seen in other films in addition to just being a really strong story um that's almost quote-unquote plotless but just has right. a lot to say about relationships and how that how the kind of uh, the power plays involved in you know gaining an upper hand or being able to relate to one another what have you and you get these just like you said mark these this trio of performances that are wonderful and i mentioned the comedy aspect because there's while to the characters it might not necessarily be funny there is a just the way some of the like the 
the lines are being traded off between each other, the way Leslie Manville reacts to things that people say and just the ice-cold look she gives to Alma through <laughs> various points of this movie are just really funny. Like it's it's Oh, to, it's very it's, funny. It's hard to not yeah. like laugh or not like or to deny the fact that there's humor in this. And I and it's very much intentional. I can't imagine you watching a movie like this and thinking the director had no idea that there was going to be humor involved because it's all right there. Right. Um, but it, and it, but as far as getting back to the, my point about kind of what this what to reveal as far as why this movie was embargoed and what was going on, I Daniel Day Lewis' performance is so specific. There's such a there's an idea of who he is from you know from the get go based off you know the, the marketing for it and just walking into it and seeing kind of the first instances of him. But as the film goes on, you get an idea that he's this kind of tortured artist, but he's also you know, kind of a priss, like he's kind of has a, an attitude about things that I can understand from a certain perspective, but also I can see why certain characters would want to take him up on that as well. So no, I, I really enjoyed this movie for a variety of reasons, uh, but, but I think it's just a great, it's, it's a really strong testament to how much Paul Thomas Anderson really knows about film and what he likes to put out there in various forms. Yeah. Todd, the gates are open. Come at me, bro. <laughs> All right. Well, no, no. I mean, uh, like uh, to to back up just a little bit, I do uh, have to I guess I have to disagree with Mark's characterization of Alma just because I do think that she's not shy or reticent. I think actually from that opening scene, the scene where we first see her, where she sort of trips in the in the restaurant or the wherever the bed and breakfast is that he's staying, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. you know, is that she kind of blusters right through it and kind of is undaunted by that. I mean, like her first encounter with him is one where she asks him what he wants very directly. And then he takes her little piece of paper and says, he says, will you remember this? And she says, yes. Right. No, she, she isn't shy or reticent. What uh, my point was that when you first see her, she trips and fall uh, and sort of, it gives you the impression that she's a little bit unsure of herself, but no, no, she's definitely a woman that's very uh, in charge of like what she wants. And, and I actually would argue that perhaps she even purposely tripped. I mean, she might've wanted to sort of uh, capture his attention in that way. Oh, perhaps, perhaps. But, um, but anyway, to, to, uh, in a more uh, broader sense, you know, the thing that I actually, I think is, um, you know, there's been a discussion about this movie for like the past five or six weeks, even though there have not the, the there were embargoes and everything on the reviews. And I feel like there's an interesting develop uh, discussion sort of developing about it. And I think there's it's it in a way it's not unlike um, three billboards where there is sort of a difference of mm-hmm. opinion about whether it, it, it constitutes endorsement of uh, or or just depiction of of what this is. And I don't think that the movie is. Uh, endorsing the this as a healthy relationship but i think what it is doing is it is it it is making the argument that there are people who have relationships that are perhaps inherently toxic and yet they are for them functional and you know and you have a character and i i think that the what you were saying uh aaron about sort of how he is very fussy and demanding and and quite frankly like what's clear is that he has been indulged over and over and over again (laughs) by by his not only his muses but like everyone in his life like that, that whatever he does is has been accepted as this is the routine that we will all follow we will adhere to it we will indulge every idiosyncratic need that he has Cyril is right Cyril is always right 
It's not because the fabric is adored by the clients that Cyril is right. It's right because it's right. Because it's beautiful. Maybe one day you'll change your taste, Alma. Maybe not. Maybe you have no taste. Maybe I like my own taste. Yes, just enough to get you into trouble. Perhaps I'm looking for trouble. Stop! Mr. Woodcock gets what Mr. Woodcock wants. Yeah. And <laughs> and so uh, when Alma comes in and she sits down the, the first morning after they have sex and she starts scraping the shit out of her toast. <laughs> that sound design and, there was fantastic. And, <laughs> and, and it is infuriating to him. You know, her response is to sort of go, okay, I didn't know that, but maybe you should just suck it up. I mean, basically that's her yeah. response. And yeah. that is the beginning of of the first time that not only she has stood up to him, but Cyril has seen somebody stand up to him. And I think what's really remarkable about it is how Alma's journey sort of facilitates Cyril's journey throughout the movie. I mean, the way that she later on, she tells him about the invitation to the wedding that he doesn't want to go to. And then uh, Alma leaves and she takes off and, and then he starts arguing with Cyril and she's like, I'll put you through the floor. And the yeah. thing is, you absolutely know that she would put him right through the floor. Mm-hmm. And and I think that there's like a really remarkable thing about how, you know, I mean, it's a whole, like what she does to him. I think what's great is uh, that the way she facilitates her control of him is like a probably borderline criminal act. Not to, I mean, more, <laughs> regardless of how I was wondering how much she put in whatever she put in. But I was just yeah. like, you know, some of it might be a lot. Yeah, but but the way that she, the way that she does it, um, is is kind of in its own way. Like, do we? It's like we we are attracted to someone with a strong personality. We are attracted to somebody with a certain talent or a skill. And at the same time, it's like we want, in whatever way we need to have control. It's like her ability to control him gives her an identity that even transcends her ability to be his muse, yeah. and it makes her an active participant in a relationship that she otherwise would be sort of his supplicant or subordinate. And, um, and I think that like, you know, I mean, there were some criticisms that I read that she doesn't have an identity outside and they didn't like explore her family. I'm like, well, I mean, they don't explore anybody's family outside of Reynolds and his sister, really. I mean, Mm -hmm. to me, it's like, there's a reason it all takes place basically inside that one house. It's like about this sort of microcosm. Um, and I think, but I think that, um, I, again, like, you know, the thing that's really interesting to me, I, I, I don't want to get too like hung up on like sort of reviewing people's reviews, but there were some, like there was a, a thing, there was a Playboy review that, that uh, I thought was a misguided take and a couple others that I didn't agree with that, that where I feel like I remember when, when the movie crash came out in 1996, which is a movie that I really the loved. Crash. I, yeah. Yeah. The oh, I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Um, and I remember people were like repulsed by it. They were like, what is this horrible thing? And I'm like, the point of the movie is not that you find the fact that these people find car crashes erotic, not that you have to find them erotic in the same way that they do. You just simply have to accept the fact that these people find them erotic. And then you can go on whatever journey narratively and emotionally just to sort of identify with them in that way. And I think this movie is similar 
uh, in that it's not about like going, oh, you definitely want to have a relationship like this where somebody is willing to kind of make you deeply physically sick in order to maintain a degree of control of you. And that's super unhealthy. But I do think that there's something kind of like really powerfully recognizable um, in the idea of going like, you know, we have our our own idiosyncratic way of relating to another person. And in sometimes those things fit very perfectly with one other person and probably shouldn't with anybody else in the world. So I don't know. It's, it's something that I, I, I really was completely stricken by. And, you know, we've talked about Paul Tom Sanderson's sort of um, his visual sense. And I, I, I think part of it was because of the location, but you know, it's amazing to me when you think that we were talking about boogie nights and stuff earlier and talking right. about how, how operatic those movies are that and Magnolia. I mean, like how, how he does all these incredible things in punch drunk love with lens flares and everything and how his filmmaking has actually gotten less florid, yes. but it actually is even more, it's as beautiful and not, if not more beautiful because of its pure functionality. I mean, you know, there are shots in the movie that are incredibly gorgeous. And at the same time, like he's not gilding the lily. He's just like, okay, I'm going to show them drive up to uh, the Woodcock family house. And you can yeah. see this purple, sky behind the house and it's like i don't know how he got that shot but it was like absolutely astonishing to me as a visual there's a and, there's a sense, it, there's a sense of precision in his films as of more as of late i would say compared to something like boogie nights or even sydney heart eight where it's mm-hmm. it, it feels i mean it's more low budget for one thing but also it feels like a director that's like i want to do all this stuff and i want to i'm going to put a camera here and i'm going to shoot it like this and now it's yeah. now it feels like well, I've I've done this. I know how to handle this, and I can know how I can make it the most economically feasible way to sh- con, you know construe a number of things together and just present it as it is. And it, it that it shows an evolution of filmmaking uh, for for support said filmmaker that I think is impressive. I mean, as much as I like seeing certain filmmakers that kind of traffic in the same thing that they've been doing just using kind of like slightly different stories, it is neat to see someone you know an auteur like Paul Thomas Anderson really go out of his way to show you, you know, something that's completely different from his last film. I mean, his last film was what, in, in a uh, detective noir in the seventies, full of, full of over the top humor and yeah. lots of jokes and what have you. And this is a very focused, concentrated 1950s, like period drama. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. You know, I mean, it's, a, it's essentially a romance. I mean, it's a, it's a story about two people in love and how they are sort of the yin and yang that complement each other. Yeah, and you know, you guys all brought this up too, but I love the power dynamic of the entire trio, right? I mean, it's almost like this Venn diagram, and yeah, almost shows up, and you don't really get a sense of it until much later. But it's weird just to to have uh, all of a sudden Cyril becoming very, very. Uh, you see how their relationship changes between Cyril and and Reynolds, and then uh, as it continues to progress with Alma, it just is this really neat like push and pull. Um, and I don't know if they've ever really been on the same page, uh, but it's it's always fascinating to see like there's an explosion sequence at the end, not not a, a literal explosion, it's, but a yeah, verbal it's that, explosion. It's, it's that big bomb that goes off, and it's like whoa. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it, that's the start of World War II. Yeah, <laughs> but um, no, there's there's a d- discussion between Reynolds and Sierra toward the end of the movie. And it's just it's so filled with uh, curse words, and it's amazing to see this. And you think that something's gonna happen after the fact, but no, it's just like nah, that that's just not the movie that this is. So it, it's really weird to see all that. But also, I, I do want to highlight what you guys are talking about with scenes. 
there's so much nuance in this in terms of the script and what Paul Thomas Anderson is shooting that it it, it blew my mind. I mean, there's there's some stuff where, where Reynolds is talking about his mother and how, you know, if you touch a dress or whatever the case is, you know, you become an old maid for the rest of your life. So, you know, he he didn't get help from from one of the, the helpers from when he was 16. Mm-hmm. And then there's a shot later where he's talking to Alma. It's like this beautiful it, it's in their their workroom. There's a dress shot in the far left, and then it's just he talking to Alma about something that they're gonna uh, do together later that evening, and it's it's incredible. Like there's just so much like 360, everything is connected kind of thing that that Paul Thomas Anderson brings to it. But like what Aaron said, for some people they're gonna be like, what is the point of this movie? And I don't, I, I, I aside from us telling you that there's you know a relationship thing where sometimes people have these toxic relationships, I I can't tell yeah. you. But it, it, and it's not toxic. I've heard people describe this as a toxic relationship or toxic masculinity. First of all, I think that Reynolds Woodcock is a charismatic man, and I think I understand why Alma is drawn to him. Uh, and at the same time, I understand why Reynolds is also sort of intrigued by Alma. And it's it's a power play. The right. whole movie is about a push and pull between you know, man and woman who is going to have the upper hand. And the interesting thing is it's, it's really not clear. And then, of course, Cyril is in there as well. And you know, when Cyril first meets Alma, th- there's, a, there's a wonderful dress-fitting scene where it seems as though Reynolds is sort of uh, taking the upper hand with Alma, and she's in a slip. And he's measuring her, and it's somewhat demeaning, and it's sort of like, oh my gosh, this is like – he's putting her, and then they're calling out the, her measurements like she's just an object. And right. then Cyril is like, oh, well, you know, point, he, likes, he likes your you figure. No he likes a little belly. So yeah. it, it kind of like puts her down. But – but it, but we realize that no it's it's not putting her down she she starts to like have the upper hand in in later scenes and then over time these relationships change and you think initially that Cyril is sort of like uh, not interested in in you know Reynolds having this relationship with Alma but that relationship changes and she becomes more accepting of this and because she realizes that Alma is more of like his equal. Um, she there's knows like, how to play the game. Yeah, there's a wonderful scene where Alma informs Cyril that she wants to uh, cook Reynolds a home cooked meal, and she wants to dismiss the staff. And Cyril is like, "No, that's not a good idea. I don't. He's that's too. That's going to change his routine. He doesn't like that." And she she goes ahead with it anyway, and that is sort of a that's a really important scene that kind of illustrates sort of how uh, Alma does take the upper hand in that. Right. And, and, and Reynolds there, sort of, there's also some darkly comedic lines during that dinner sequence. Yeah. Oh, there's, uh, there's it's, it's, it made me laugh out loud lines <laughs> or uh, lines throughout the whole right. film. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of these like scathing one liners. It's like, that, this might be, uh, I mean, it, for, like, for a period drama like this, this might be have some of the most scathing one-liners since like Gosford Park. As far as like how <laughs> funny this movie is in the midst of like a very kind of uh, there, precise. Part, okay, so my manner. favorite, my favorite put down is when um, Alma brings him tea, which is like a nice thing, yeah. and he's like, "I'm." busy i'm working and she's like okay fine i'll leave it's like yeah the tea is leaving but the interruption is staying right here with me <laughs> <Yes. laughs> it's hilarious 
I also want to remark in that scene that uh, I mean the the acting in here is fantastic I'm not, and the line reading sure but there's that specific scene that I was going to bring up as well where her head just kind of being taken aback by what he said is a natural reaction to how anybody would would react and I was like this is this is spot on this is perfect I don't know how Paul Thomas I don't know if Paul Thomas Anderson told her to do that or if she just did that on her own but she genuinely looks taken aback and hurt by him saying take the tea out of here. And I was like, this is phenomenal. This is like non-acting acting. And again, exquisite. Let's talk about the uh, production a little bit. Uh, yes. Because, I mean, this movie, you know, it looks fantastic and sounds fantastic. The score. And I was wonderfully relieved that Johnny Greenwood actually does qualify for an Oscar this time. Um, he's been, I believe, shut out for the last couple of over like, at least the master in the early blood as far as Oscar consideration for reasons involving pre-used pre-recorded music or what have you this time he actually is like he's a he's a contender if i'm not mistaken and i'll be very happy to see that you know him stacked up against some of the other really good scores i've heard this year but yeah this score is tremendous it's it's a wonderful composition um and it goes well with the you know immaculate design of this film regarding both the cinematography handled by so many people um as well as the um just the costume design uh, yeah. I mean, the the film might be more about the kind of relationships than the actual, you know, dresses and whatnot that Woodcock is designing. But, you know, the things you're seeing in this film, I tend to get somewhat unmoved when you see kind of the costume design awards because it's for, for period films, because it's like, OK, I I acknowledge the skill that went that, that you know, the people that went into making these, you know, right, right. What have you done. but it's like compare that to some of the imagination I see in films that have costumes that you've never seen before. And I kind of think like these should get a little more credit. I think this is one though, where like, I really, I really would ha- be happy to champion this film for best costumes. Now, there's a lot of great stuff being presented here, uh, which I'm not necessarily surprised by. Paul Thomas Harris knows what he's doing, but at the same time, it is nice to see. I mean, the film that looks so great and has that great, the use of the use of the mansion, the, the house of Woodcock, just a, mm-hmm. a wonderful set, a wonderful location that they found for this movie. By the way, can I interject with you guys with the quiz? So you mentioned uh, best uh, costume design, kind of period pieces. Uh, Alice in Wonderland and Mad Max Fury Road are the only ones that are not like period piece that have that have won Academy Awards for costume design. In recent years, I'm sure. Yeah, in, in the 2010s, yeah. yeah. It, it's not surprising. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, Here's hoping Blade Runner, I guess, gets in there. <laughs> Yeah. Um, what do you guys think of the uh, runtime of this? Did you guys feel it? Uh, for, uh, for, <clears throat> for a film like this, I mean, I no, I, I, I did not feel like I was like wait, waiting out the clock here or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's more of I, I walk into a film like this pretty much knowing what I'm getting, and I the expectation was met for me as far as the pacing and what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I <clears throat> you know, I think it's interesting that he has. You know, I mean, like he made after he did Magnolia, he decided he was going to make a 90 minute movie. That yeah. was what he wanted to do. Um, and, you know, he even did like a I think it was a Twitter Q&A. He might have done a red AMA as well. But but somebody actually asked him and he like sort of likes to take jabs at the fact that his that like Magnolia in particular, he feels like is like overlong. Even I don't think he actually feels that way, but he just kind of likes to clown it a little bit. <laughs> um, and, you know, I like that, you know, when you watch like the master, I mean, you make a movie like the master, even as a movie that is a fictitious version of sort of the, you know, early days of Scientology, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you know, you feel like that's a movie that would 
oh, automatically that's going to be like three hours. And it was like 210 or 205 or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I think he's become more skillful. And, you know, I've, I've done some interviews with different filmmakers, you know, in the last little while who were um, very specific about like what they had learned from like their first movies to their last and like how much effort needs to be made as a filmmaker to communicate the same amount of emotional information, the same amount of narrative information, you know, and things like that. And I think he is a filmmaker, again, speaking to sort of the way he uses his camera. Um, I think the way that he tells his stories, like he knows how much he has to tell people. And I think, you know, how much he wants to tell people. And I think that it's like, I, I want to say like, it's a perfect running time. But what I mean is that like it, it perfectly suits the material, I feel like there's nothing extraneous and each scene, um, you know, explores what it's supposed to at, at the duration that it needs to. And, um, and, and so therefore it is a perfect running time. Mm. Solid answer. <laughs> you just to, to, to jump back a bit, you mentioned, uh, reviews that talk about, um, how Alma's like given no, no, you know, kind of no other story besides what's going on in the house of Woodcock. And I always, I always find it interesting for like, do they want, it's like, hmm, he must have forgot to do that. Is that like their logic when they say something like that? It's like, how did the director well, no. forget to add that backstory? You know, well, I think, I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, for example, the, 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 the Playboy review in particular, I mean, to me, like, it feels like a reaction that is perhaps too keenly aware of, like, what's going on right now in culture, like, you know, and serves to be filtering yeah. whether or not you're allowed to enjoy something through what is quote unquote the, the national conversation. Right. Right. Um, you know, and I mean, in some cases it's something that like, you know, it becomes a preoccupation mm-hmm. with some people in a completely reasonable way. So I, I say that not in a, uh, to, to criticize them, but I do think that like, that's not necessarily the most effective way to read a movie. And it's maybe not the most accurate in terms of like what, a, what a movie is aiming to do versus what it's accomplishing. You know, I mean, there are movies that badly misread the tone of the culture, but I don't think that this one does. As a matter of fact, I think quite the opposite. I think that it, like very astutely, I think we've seen uh, dozens and dozens of movies about men in particular who are artistic geniuses, who are scientific geniuses, who are extremely skilled in some discipline and they are, otherwise pieces of garbage and like the people around them are sort of long suffering and they are somehow and for some reason indulged because of their accomplishments. Um, and some, in many cases, these are examples of people who, you know, I mean, you can think of like walk the line or something like that, where you're just like, Oh, well, I mean, not that Johnny cash is like a piece of crap, but I mean, like he was, did lots of terrible things, um, as a, just as a random example, it was like, but, I think that this is a movie that really dismantles that narrative and says like, well, you know, I mean, in some cases it is finding your, your match. And, you know, in some cases it's, and very specifically in this case, it's finding your match as a person who says you need to just get over yourself and suck it up because there's no way that, that I'm going to put up with this crap. And I know that, and, and you need to be, and, and not only am I going to call you out on this, but you need to be called out on it. And, um, and I think that's actually like, a pretty important, you know, like a cultural statement to make as much as it is, um, you know, just an artistic one. Yeah, I think I've heard some people describe this film as like he's just a complete jerk. And that would be the case if she was this shrinking violet over which he was able to like just do whatever he pleased. 
I mean, there are details of the narrative which I'm not going to describe because they're spoilers, but he submits to her. She asserts her authority, and I feel like by the end, she does have the upper hand. So this is not a this is not a film about you know how the man like uh, asserts his authority over the woman. This is a story. This is a love story about two bizarre personalities. Uh, yeah. You know. Yeah. Granted, oddballs that found each other that are perfect for each other and found love. And it may not be your love, but it is love and it is a relationship over which these two actually, you know, uh, you know, enjoyed. I mean, like, yeah. I think I think the two are better. I mean, it is. There are things that happen in the film, and, and it, it is involved in the ending, which is like, wow, that is that is weird. That is yeah, like yeah. sort of messed up. But at the same time, it takes it's an like, odd turn. Yeah, but it's at the same time, this is two people that found love, and I don't think either one has the upper hand. I think this is a partnership, and if you know, marriage is a partnership, and that is what is displayed here. Well, I'd also like to add, and that. I was. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was say, I'd also like to add in the movie. I, I I don't think that Woodcock is necessarily deemed to be, uh, you know, he doesn't have the upper hand all the time. It's just that he's he's super driven by his passion. But he's described as a baby, and he he pouts a lot. There's no he he even gets he, he has mommy issues. Yeah, like, like that, I will say that, that he that he admittedly details. But you know, there's parts where he's just like, well, why isn't this person coming to my my house anymore? And it's so like, oh well, you know, you're not cool anymore. It's not chic. He's like, well, why did anybody tell me this stuff? And I was like, dude. I mean, he literally says my feelings. Such a whiner. <laughs> I mean, he literally, he's not like, oh, well, this is going to hurt our business. He's like, my feelings are hurt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I think that's like, I think that's amazing. You know, to yeah. to, to Mark's point, I, I do think um, by any conventional definition, I think their relationship is probably toxic. Um, that is not to say that I have, that clearly I have uh, affection for even the, 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 um, harmony of that toxicity but uh but i do think that um there is and i also think that that his uh sort of charismatic uh charm his sexy his sex appeal is not mutually exclusive from that toxicity but um but i do think that um there i i think that that is the that's the exact divide that i was talking about about sort of like the idea of going well, this is a terrible relationship, so therefore this is a terrible film. It's like, no, the movie is aware that this is not maybe the most healthy uh, mutual and reciprocal expression of love that that every person should experience. But so, it is a perfectly functional, <laughs> uh, if perfectly dysfunctional, expression of love for these two people to exchange with one another. Mm-hmm. If so that makes I know sense. Paul... I know Paul Thomas Anderson means for this, really, regardless of whether you just define it as toxic, and I and I will at least say it's is a bizarre relationship, and probably not a relationship that I would endorse. But at the same time, I've read that Paul Thomas Anderson was inspired by the fact. Okay, he's married to Maya Rudolph, the the comedian, comedian, and when partners. he was to sick, be specific, I believe just, they're partners. I'm not sure if they're. This doesn't oh, matter. Oh, okay. But, but yes, they, oh, they okay, have been sorry. they have but, been together for but, a number of years. Okay, <laughs> but they're they're in a relationship, and when he was sick, uh, she kind of attended to him and nursed him, and that encounter or that experience is kind of what inspired this film. Sure. So, so I mean. Obviously, he means for that to be a good thing, and so it, it does. 
kind of come out twisted in the way that it plays out in this in this movie and it's probably more twisted than what actually happened in real life but i think the overall kind of idea is that it was sort of a uh uplifting thing well that's also that's what makes intriguing cinema by having these various takes but also presenting something that's not the traditional romance i mean there's something here that's far more enjoyable to discuss with you people uh versus you know the latest you know um, pretty generic romantic comedy here we have a 1950s period film about two weirdos that you know make dresses and do weird things to each other in order to preserve their love um, <laughs> well, I was gonna, I, w- I was gonna say, Mark, you, you helped me sort of crystallize a, like sort of an idea in my head about this movie, which is very much about, like, you know, the key to any successful relationship is being able to show your absolute vulnerability to that person, and right. you know, in this case, it is about inflicting that vulnerability on them, whether they want it or not. <laughs> uh, but I do think that that's, I do. Todd, I, have I offered you a glass of tea yet? No, Lord have mercy. Okay, only, right. That's the only thing I drink. So, uh, but yeah, but no, I do think that's. I, I think that's absolutely right. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I was gonna think that we end this episode of a track from Johnny Greenwood's score, but now I think we should use the BGS. How deep is your love? So I'll let Abe decide if uh, which one is the best, <laughs> the best you know. appropriate, uh, you know, choice uh, for this episode. Probably, probably the BGS one. Yeah, well, that that might end yeah. it. Maybe we'll just we'll just open with some Johnny Greenwood. We can do, we can do that. Um, any final thoughts on Phantom Thread before we move on? Uh, yeah, final thought is um, stay for the end credits. There was actually some. There was actually something that caught me off guard, and I was like, "That was that was really sweet." So, oh yeah, <laughs> well, I don't even know what that's all about. But all right, well, uh, when should people go and see Phantom Thread? Let's start with Todd. Uh, well, I, I was lucky enough. Uh, I don't know where it, how many theater it sh- is it is showing in 70 millimeter, but I saw it last night at uh, the Arclight in 70 millimeter and I can't recommend it enough. I'd seen it in another theater before and I don't know if that was a 35 millimeter print. Uh, I'm sure it wasn't digital, but, but it was, uh, but see it in the theater. Absolutely. And if you can see it in 70 millimeter, so much the better. Mark. I would say see it in the theater. Abe. I'd say uh, it's definitely worth seeing in a, in a theater, but you don't have to rush out right away. So I'd say dollar theater. Yeah, I mean, this is... Get out of here, Abe. Get out of here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Once again, I, I, it's the kind of it's thing... It's beautiful looking if you, if you, It is a great is a great looking film. It's well acted, well performed. It has everything that I'd want in a you know an adult drama. And getting to see that in the theater um, is something that you don't get too often. <laughs> so I, 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 I would heartily recommend it for the sake of both getting to see a good movie and because when you support films like this, you get more films like this. It's um, true. So, yeah. Uh, all right, that was our review for Phantom Third. Let's move on now, guys. Let's get to our out now feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. This is where we go over the various questions and answers on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash outnowpodcast. We asked a number of questions for you, the listener, and you, the listener, gave us answers. You also gave us some questions that we will attempt to answer. Uh, Todd and Mark, feel free to uh, lend your voices as well as we uh, go through these questions. Indeed. First one is, what is your favorite Paul Thomas Anderson film? Chris writes, depends on the mood I'm in, but between Boogie Nights and Magnolia... Jay writes, Magnolia is a masterpiece. Craig has Boogie Nights, baby. Justin has Boogie Nights. Haven't seen Magnolia. It's on my list to see now. Uh, Corinne writes, There will be blood. Looking forward to Phantom Thread. Maybe this weekend. Manish has The Master. And Philip has Magnolia. I think we've earlier established all of our favorite Paul Thomas Anderson films. That said, it is this kind of push and pull for me when it comes to Boogie Nights or Punch Drunk Love. Like, both of those are... but. Punch Drunk Love, like, I feel like I've watched that more now at this point than Boogie Nights. Probably mm-hmm. because it's shorter, but also because I just really like that movie a lot. I 
Um, let's see, our next question is, which Daniel Day-Lewis performance did you find to be the most impressive? Jay writes, There Will Be Blood is the most impressive, but his supporting role in A Room With A View might be his most entertaining. Uh, Chris writes, My Beautiful Laundrette is very good and have to agree with There Will Be Blood. And finally, Manish writes, There Will Be Blood and The Age of Innocence. Gotta shout out Lincoln, man. I just didn't see him in that. I just saw Abraham Lincoln. I, I'm really a big fan of Daniel Day-Lewis in In the Name of the Father. I was <laughs> that, that one scene where they're trying to get him to sign that paper is just heartbreaking. Mm. It might be there will be blood. That's the most watchable for me, like as far as what yeah. he's because it is like it's an out there performance and it's big, but it's really it's really fun to like take in in that it's yeah. you know a big giant character drama epic. It's great that you root for a guy who who has sinister things in his heart. I don't know if I root for him, but I still like watching. <laughs> That's it. I'm and like it's not as necessarily quote unquote as impressive, but I really like uh, the Last of the Mohicans. I I mean, if you wanted to be like a you know a big action star, that's a good you know proof positive that Daniel Lewis can do whatever the fuck he wants to. Like he's really good in that movie. Um, I mean, I guess I would just throw Gangs of New York in there because I think yeah. he's like kind of unbelievable, and I've seen that movie sixty times in the last three months because it's been on <laughs> cable every day. Oh wow. <laughs> I was gonna say. I why? mean, like, <laughs> like every, yeah. like every, every morning or every day when I get home from work, I'm like, oh, I'll just put on the TV and it's on, and I'm like, oh, I'll watch another, the same fifteen minutes of it. That feels like that feels like the Departed for me for a while. It was on FX like every <laughs> day, on all the time. Yeah, and I was like, all right, <laughs> why not? <laughs> I haven't seen Games of New York since I saw it in theaters back in 2002. Danny yeah, Lewis is uh, his morning chat with Leo was is that, fantastic. Is that where he's wrapped? Is that where he's wrapped in the flag? Yep, yep, yep. That's and he's the, talking that's about the, that's the one thing I can really remember. Yeah, he's great in the movie. Yeah, I, mean, I, like, so I remember, I remember it being so a good, good movie and like has great performances and Cameron Diaz, but like you know, <laughs> I, I just I haven't. I remember watched it being a great movie, and then I was like, "What is this ending?" And I was like, "Okay, I guess." The endings were like U two sings over New York being built or something like that, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's kind of just like the fast forward into the future kind of thing. It's like okay, it's like Munich. Except less powerful. <laughs> <laughs> Eric Bonham, we need to see that guy in more movies. Um, comedy movies. Next question. What's a film that you specifically praise for its costume design? Nathan writes a series of unfortunate events. Justin writes The Greatest Showman. Also, you guessed it, Wild Wild West. Dunkirk was pretty great also, but I love Victorian slash Western steampunk. Dennis said, oddly enough, Nancy Drew. Corinne writes The Duchess. Chris writes Anna Karenina. Corinne also adds Chariots of Fire, and lastly, Philip has Ran. Huh. I don't hear enough Aaron. Ran. But Ran's a good one. <laughs> what, oh. Mark, what were you going to say? Aaron, I was going to ask you if you have any idea what I, I'm going to say. Oh, mm. God. Um, don't know. I feel like there, no, there's something. It's just one of my favorite movies. So, like, think roots. about my. Is it, is it The Fifth Element? It's The Fifth Element. <laughs> yes. Jean-Paul Gaultier's uh, costumes in that are, like, incredible. We're talking I about mean, The Fifth Element? Yeah. Yes. yes. It, they're so ridiculous. I mean, I mean, Chris Tucker's outfits alone. His hairstyle alone, yeah. But even the even the, the workers in the hotel that are dressed like little sailors, the, yeah. like that, it, that movie is just bonkers. So. Yeah. Is, is Valeria the same costume design? It must, right? Or... No. No, uh, no. no. Gautier didn't do that, but, no, it, but it is some. Obviously, they probably watched the Fifth Element and then like were inspired by it. Yeah. 
It makes sense because I I did watch I've watched Valerian recently also and it's like yeah they're not as kind of out of because Earth is way different than the City of a Thousand Planets guys obviously so they dress <laughs> differently. Yeah, I, I loved I I loved Valerian as well. So but no, that's it is. Yep. There's a lot of like sci-fi movies that I'm sure I can think of that have just terrific costume design that just doesn't get nearly as much credit as something lost like, in space like the duchess no, or something like that uh which you know it's certainly fine like there's nothing wrong with the kind of victorian era production yeah i mean yeah you it, mentioned earlier i mean period pieces they tend to get a lot of of great looks but um it's just but that's, that's but coming up know, with stuff out of nothing just right just, yeah. i mean that that impresses well, me personally more. actually the original guardians of the galaxy i was yeah. really inspired by the film i kind of thought oh this sort of has that fifth element feel to it mm. I mean, part look, two look does as Glenn, well. I mean, Glenn it's, Close and like yeah. the way she looks in that. That's film. true. Yeah, all the all the uh, what are they called? The Star Folk or I forget their I forget what the uh, what their fleet is called. But oh, yeah, yeah you're right. Saying, yeah, okay. Yeah, they they do have good costume design. Let's move on to our next question. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson has done four films in a row with Johnny Greenwood. Uh, what director composer duo has been your favorite? Uh, Jordan Rath, run of the show, writes easiest but best answer. Christopher Nolan and Hans Zimmer. Chris writes Villeneuve and Johan Johansson, but Zimmer is fantastic. Philip writes Hayao Miyazaki and Joe Hishiyashi. Hisashi. Hisashi? Okay. Yeah. He, he didn't to... spell correctly, but... Oh, he didn't. Yeah. It's his fault, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yelling. Craig writes... I, 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 I yeah. hope you just went to a window to yell that out. I did. <laughs> I, I opened it up. <laughs> Craig writes Stallone and Bill Conti, plus he did all the Karate Kid movies. Hmm. Uh, Justin writes Burton and Elfman, or by far the best ever Spielberg and, and John Williams. Some good answers here. Well, I, I'm going to go to like sort of an obvious choice, but I love Alfred Hitchcock and then Bernard Herrmann. Bernard Herrmann, though, yeah, that's... yeah. Bernard Herrmann, what a scrub. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah no, I, I mean, I mean, I, it's funny because I would have, I also would have said. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson and John Bryan. Yeah, no, I, I again, I'm going to call back to Punch Drunk Love, but that score is fantastic. But of course, obviously, he's, you know, his others as well, Magnolia and Boogie Nights and, and Sydney. Yeah. Even though you didn't spell it right, Philip, I, I agree with your answer there. I mean, that that's a great duo. Well, Miyazaki um, films have great scores, that's for yeah. sure. And yeah, uh, Hisashi, he 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 also composes other movies, but yeah, they're, he's just really good. Who's um David Lean's? Like go to composer. Oh, is that I mean, Maurice Jarre? Yeah, 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 yeah. Maurice oh, Jarre, yeah, yeah, those are real I mean, lush and yeah. yeah they, they certainly, you know, they give you a feel that you do not forget. That's for sure. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones that are not as obvious because there's certainly a lot of great ones out there. Uh, Giacchino, Giacchino, and JJ uh, Abrams have done some really terrific work. They do have good. Oh school. yeah, yeah. I mean, mm. you know, oh, Todd. <laughs> really can you can you really you remember the score to super eight no, 2009 star trek i can remember the score for super eight i like that score i don't remember that it's song. very williamsy that's for sure i was but... disappointed by the third act in that movie i can remember that i was disappointed by the first second and third act Ooh, <laughs> damn. uh wes anderson um uh, with alexander desplat and mark mothersbell mark mothersbell for sure yeah yeah uh, next question, what are some of your favorite supporting performances in a Paul Thomas Anderson film? Keith writes, Paul Dano for There Will Be Blood, hands down. Chris writes, Mr. Riley or Heather Graham in Boogie Nights. Justin has Heather Graham in Boogie Nights. And lastly, Philip has John C. Riley in Magnolia. Wait a minute. Well, I'm sorry, what was the question? Favorite supporting favorite performances support- in PTA films. Oh. Hmm. Uh, but Philip Seymour Hoffman in any Paul Thomas Anderson movie? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, Philip Seymour, I, I have to call out Philip 
Seymour Hoffman, though, in uh, Boogie Nights, that performance is so tragic and just uh, and but but then also the master, too, which I'm not like the biggest fan of the master. But I thought Paul Thomas or uh, sorry, Philip Seymour Hoffman's work in the master was extraordinary. That is true. I I read some of the Twitter um, like. Um, ask anything thing he was doing and he did talk about the AMA. master and how he described yeah the ama and how he talked about it as kind of as basically he thought it was more of a comedy than most people did and specifically <laughs> specifically because everything philip seymour hoffman says is kind of hilarious well and supposedly that, paul thomas anderson thinks of phantom thread as a comedy oh i mean i describe it as a comedy i can see, to an I can see it that way especially when eric <laughs> talked about it i was like yeah but, I, guess, I guess i could see it as a, but like, as a dark i mean thinking of, thinking of the master i mean having also recently watched that there's few things funnier than Philip Seymour Hoffman calling a man pig fuck in the middle of a fancy conversation. So it's <laughs> right. like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm inclined to agree every step of the way. Uh, two more composer combos, by the way, Darren Aronofsky and Clint Menzel and um, Argento and Goblin. Those are two. Yeah. I thought of. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, Todd, did you have any uh, supporting performances that you wanted to spotlight? Um, hmm. Trying to think. I mean, Thomas Jane is Todd Parker and Boogie Nights. Oh yeah, very that, good. that was a really nerve nerve wracking scene. Well, whole, like him and Alfred Molina and, and John C. Riley for that. That was, yeah. that, that scene made me like super on edge. Uh, I mean, you know, I think um, uh, April Grace is uh, Guinevere, the interviewer in um, in Magnolia. I think she's kind of amazing. Um, at, at just quietly taking Tom Cruise's character apart. Um, uh, let's see. I'm trying to think. I mean, like, there's so many great performances. I mean, like, even if you don't like, I think, uh, Inherent Vice, I mean, like, watching, uh, you know, I'm not sure Josh Brolin if that could be easily considered a lead or if it's a supporting performance but i mean it's kind of like amazing and hilarious and heartbreaking all at the same time that was uh, i mean that was my my biggest disappointment was him not getting an oscar nomination because i think josh brolin was absolutely terrific he was terrific yeah um i mean we're it's the movie we're talking about now but i think leslie manville and phantom thread is really great yeah i i would agree yeah although she did get recognized by the was it new york film critic circle yeah or yeah. something like that. yeah yeah, yeah. So uh, it has not gone unrewarded, but uh, but I agree that it is fantastic. But will Oscar be as kind? Uh, I, I mean, I lo- I'd love to see an Oscar where Tiffany Haddish and, and Leslie Manville are going up against each other. <laughs> I'd see that. With, with Allison Janney and Laurie Metcalf and all that nonsense. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the likely winners. You know, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where we do have a... a, a, a a remarkable surplus of really strong female performances this year. It's, it's a, it's, it's a champagne problem, quite frankly. Yeah. So. It's going to be, it's going to be a because I'm pretty sure that my, my pick is not going to win, but me- meanwhile, she was the best. Meanwhile, Michael Sarah will go criminally underrated for his performance in Mahler's game. Cause he's really good at it. Um, <laughs> he is super good. I'm, Next I'm question. <laughs> we have, what's I'm not kidding. He's really good as Toby Maguire. I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, next question. What's your favorite film about a challenging romantic relationship? Chris writes Amour and Brokeback Mountain. Mm-hmm. Philip writes from Up on Poppy Hill. Nathan writes Brooklyn and Sabrina, the Aubrey, Audrey Hepburn version. Uh, Justin writes, no, I don't think anyone thinks the Harrison Ford one, but he wrote Audrey Hepburn, so <laughs> I guess I had to say it. Uh, Justin writes Notting Hill, also Wall-E. And Gary writes Brokeback Mountain. 
Pretty good smattering of films in there, gotta yeah. say. Uh, fair well, the, challenging romantic the, I, the like, request is so ambiguous, like challenging, that could be almost anything. Yeah. That's, that's the fun. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm going to just go, I mean, I'm a big Hitchcock fan, as you know. I'm just going to go with Rebecca, because I think that is, and then I know that is a film that he was inspired by, but I love that movie, so. It's, a best, it's his only Best Picture winner, so. <laughs> um, I would throw Out of Sight in there. I think that's oh. very good. Yeah, one of my favorites. Um, and uh, you know what's also really amazing? Carol. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Beautifully I shot. Mean, yeah, I mean, Carol to me is like a movie that's literally about like two women waiting for men just to fucking get lost so they can do their do what they want. <laughs> I mean, like every scene is literally like that. Uh, you know, they just keep getting interrupted by men. By Kyle Chandler. Uh, yeah, well, not even Kyle. Part of the show, Kyle Chandler. <laughs> like they, they, there's some other scene where they're sitting talking, and this guy comes over, and you can just see the two of them look at each other like this friggin' guy yeah. would just buzz off, you know. Uh, but no, I think it, but it's also a really uh, beautiful and call me by your name for that matter. Um, sure, that movie's yeah. just like devastating. So yeah. well, we did it guys. We did it. <laughs> now we move to questions that everybody asks us. So the panel here today can answer. Jason asks us, where's the Han Solo trader hiding? <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. Well, I, so, when is it scheduled to be released? When's the movie scheduled to be well, released? It's supposed to be released in Memor- uh, the week before Memorial Day, which it's is time. Well, given that most summer movies that are coming out after oh, Memorial Day already true. have their trailers, and the movie, you know, has all it kind of, you know, had its issues with the reshoots and all of that, um, you could put some good money on the movie switching its release date. However, nothing's been announced formally yet, so I it's guess, not going to switch its release date. Yeah, so Super Bowl would probably be the best answer for that question. Super um, Bowl. Um, I heard, I heard the next few weeks, and from from a reputable source. That'll be the next few weeks, which which speaks to Super Bowl. potentially Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I honestly, I, I don't know if they will play like a two and a half minute trailer at Super Bowl. I mean, there might be like a teaser. Yeah. Um, but again, I at this point, there are a number of circumstances which make it sort of unable to be changed from its release date. Like I think there's like toys and, sh- and stuff that are coming out that, that have a ship date for the movie that are within the, the same window and everything. So it's, it's definitely happening at the time that they, I, that they said, I so. think part of it is the fact that it's just coming very close after the last star Wars movie. So it's like, well, how do you, you, you can't oversaturate it, even though it's star Wars and it will most likely sell. It's like, you need a little bit of distance uh, before you really, you know, start you know, going full steam ahead on the next thing that comes only six months after the last thing, less than six months after the last thing. Yeah. Um, and it's like, how much marketing does another Star Wars movie really need? <laughs> but um, I'm pretty well, sure nobody's I mean, going to go see it, man. Well, I mean, I mean, to be fair, like, you know, first of all, what they should have done was they should have waited until three weeks after Last Jedi and said, go back and watch Last Jedi and you'll get to see Han Solo trailer on the screen. They would have yeah. totally, that would have totally helped them. That, that would have saved uh, that movie from being the second biggest movie of all time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that that could have further bolstered the box. Sure. Yeah. Movie. I know. But, yeah, I understand. But, uh, but I, uh, but I do think there is a, a reasonable concern that they are making a Han Solo movie. That's not going to have Harrison Ford in it. And they have to somehow introduce that to the to the 
to the world to some extent, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. particularly given, I mean, like, I mean, I realize that we are film Twitter, so it's not the same thing as like the actual real world, but like, you know, when you have a movie where the filmmakers were replaced and all these other stuff, and then you hear that it's like, wait, they're making a Han Solo movie and Harrison Ford's not in it. Like you, you, they should, they got to do something and they got to do it pretty soon. Well, they yeah. have box office smash Hail Caesars, Alden Ehrenrich in it. So, I mean, that's going to go somewhere. <laughs> Uh, we'll sure. see what happens. They have FX's Atlanta's Donald Glover in the co-starring role. I mean, people love FX. They can't Emmy award winning. Emmy award. Emmy and Golden Globe, and I assume SAG award winning Donald Glover. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I I wish the film well. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I don't want to not see it succeed. At the same time, it's like this is it's a bit of a mess trying to like have them try to figure out how to handle the damage control on this in the midst of another Star Wars movie that has this weird kind of vocal minority coming after it. It's like, okay, well, let's, let's see what happens. But yeah, best guess is Super Bowl, I think, is the answer to that question. It'd be great if they didn't release anything and they just, you know, opened it on the day of. I've seen the like, poster. Go see the, it. The poster that just says Solo. The teaser a, poster, though, right? Solo, a Star Wars story. Yeah, I've seen right. that poster in theaters, so. Okay. Anyway, let's go to our next question. Philip writes, when it comes to films based on true stories, does the historical value give it a bump for you, or is it all about how well the movie turns out? Hmm. I had a little bit of trouble interpreting this question. Well, I think he's asking, it, does the validity of the true story like matter to you as far as the movie attack? Like this, like... Oh, okay. Yeah, because that, that's what I was thinking he was asking, and for sure it does, because that's, that's one of the reasons why I didn't like American Sniper as much. I was like, wait a minute, half this stuff didn't happen. So, I, mean, like, I think there's a context involved with it. I, there's, like, I wouldn't necess- I don't necessarily dislike movies that are not completely true to history if the movie itself is very good because I'm seeing a movie. I, I don't necessarily mm-hmm. need to expect an entirely true story, but also it depends on what story is being told. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's, if there's movies that are glorifying certain things that didn't happen in the name of making the hero seem more likable, then that seems questionable at times. Yeah, but yeah. is it doing it for a greater purpose? Well, if the movie's not solving that problem, then no, not really. So I, yeah, I might dislike it or not be as fond of said part. But if there's something like, I don't know, Inglorious Bastards, which just goes all over the place with what actually happened in history, but for the purposes <laughs> of because the director felt like it and why not, I'm happy to go along with that ride as well. Well, sure, I mean, yeah. I, but but I would say that Inglorious Bastards might be excluded from this consideration. Right. That, that's I mean, how like, I feel. Well, yeah, it's that's, a case by case scenario as well. I mean, yeah, I get that. But I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think the question though is is maybe speaks more to what Abe was saying in terms of like its accuracy to an actual historical event as opposed to a fictionalized anything. Which um, I would say I agree with with Abe that you know that when I know that they've taken liberties and when I and when they manufacture things sheerly for dramatic convenience, then that's when I tend to have less of a uh, appreciation for enjoyment. Well, would you say that? that? Would you say that applies to when other aspects beyond your point as a film critic applies, as far as like your politics or what have you? Something like Itania, for example, is a movie that takes a lot of liberties for sure, but also to tell a, a story in its own way and not based off of glorifying or vilifying Tanya Harding even more, but just because it suits the kind of the point of view the story's taken by having multiple multiple unreliable narrators. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of mixed feelings about that movie. So Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, you know, for that movie I, I wasn't I wasn't one of the people that were like, well this is amazing. So I was like, I'm already I'm already kind of ambivalent toward the movie itself, so it still 
it's still that because of the reasoning that I gave. It's like you know, well, some your of this... thoughts are based more on tone than they are on the validity of the facts being presented. Yeah, give and take. So, uh, but anyway, case... you shot down by a glorious bastard swinger right away. So I'm well, that, that's going that, after that, you. That's because that's like a fictionalization of some historical context. Though, I mean, right? I, for me, I think it has a lot to do with how the filmmaker is presenting what they're giving us, and if if they're trying to present the. Well, portrait as like this is the facts then it probably becomes a little bit more harder to take for the most part i don't think there's any but i don't think there's hardly any biographical film that gets it completely right so you have to take almost everything with a grain of salt and that's how i approach virtually everything um uh i actually had some issues with darkest hour and 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 one late in the film scene (laughs) Uh, which was just a complete fabrication. Uh, but, you know, I, I sort of realized, oh, well, they're just putting this in here because they're, this is the story they're telling and they want to, like, sort of bolster the idea that Winston Churchill was a man of the people. Right, yeah, the most Hollywood scene. Yeah. That that thing in the on the subway, which was, right. like, absolutely ridiculous. I, I also... Which is a scene that brought, brought me kind of misty-eyed, but I was like, this, there's no way that this happened this way. Um, yeah, so you, I mean, as, as bizarre as it gets, then you start to say, oh, well, this is so obviously a fabric I'm okay with it. It, well, it. As it starts to get a little bit more gray area, then you sort of have to see, well, what is the filmmaker? My, my mo- mostly, for the most part, I'm okay with filmmakers taking certain liberties because most things, when things are being dramatized, there may only be one or two people in the room anyway. So how are you going to get the dialogue exactly correct? You you won't. So there are certain liberties that have to be taken. So I, I sort of take it as an overall piece and I sort of overall say, have you made an interesting film that doesn't offend me? And if it's if it does do that, then I'm okay with it. Yeah, I also want to add very quickly that Aaron, uh, I'm I'm thinking more movies that say based on true true or based on true events something like that. When well, sure. it, yeah, so that's like you know, in Glorious Bastards, I know that it's it's. I'm using kind of extreme just, examples, obviously. Right. Okay. I, I'm glad because I was like, I can't tell if he's being facetious. <laughs> I'm being yeah, that that would be more facetious. So like, wait a minute, Glorious Bastards is an example like that. That movie is about an alternate take on history, so that's yeah. not even. <laughs> You know, the, the, but you know, like you watch a movie like Lincoln by Steven Spielberg, they're presenting that as this is, you know, we're we're giving you the truth here. Yeah, sure. the, the uh, ones that always get me are there's certain ones that do say like a true story, um, not based on just a true story. <laughs> right, <laughs> there are ones that well, you got to worry and... about that. Oh, especially when they know that it's not a true story, like something like a uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I was like, whoa, or Blair Witch Project. I was like, what is this? This is scary. But anyway. Uh, last question is from Gary, which is not going to be able to answer it here. Everyone's best guesses for Oscar noms and wins. I think we're going to have a special show let's, on that, Aaron. We will, but let's let's we could narrow that down. What, let, let's ask a different question. What what would be the Oscar nomination you'd most like to see announced this week? Because it's Tuesday, I believe, when the Oscar noms come out. So the date of this podcast is there for any of you guys? Is there an is there an Oscar nom specifically that you'd like to see happen? Yeah, it's one that I've been championing since summer. Uh, Big sick for Ray Romano and Holly Hunter, best supporting. I would love to see the Big Sick get a nomination for Best Film. I don't think it's going to happen, but it did get. What was it? A producers? Uh, the PGAs? PGA? No, there's. I mean, yeah. I'm not so gonna say there it's a guarantee, some, but there's a good. There's a good chance. There's some precedent it. there. Uh, so if the Big Sick gets just a nomination for Best Picture, I would be ecstatic. Todd, how about you? 
Um, you know, I think um, maybe, I mean, these things may happen, um, but, uh, but I think call me by your name and um, get out leading the nominations as much for the cultural moment that we're in as, as I do believe that they are both very fully unreservedly deserving. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I think get out is a movie that has been sort of obviously widely acknowledged and yet sort of weirdly marginalized. And I think that it is like incredibly relevant and important and just freaking awesome at the same time. And, uh, I would love to see that actually take home some like real significant awards. Um, you know, not that, not that screenwriting awards are not, uh, significant, but you know, like I, to, to, at least to see it recognized as, as a best picture nominee, I think would be great. Well, um, because call, I, call me by your name and get out are going to get nominated for best picture. I, I, I can't imagine any kind of a, a scenario in which they are not. Are, maybe I, I can. No, I'm in, I'm in agreement on that one. And I even, I would even throw the big sick as a very high possibility. Woo! Uh, See, that one I don't, I don't think so. I think it's a high possibility. Spe- speaking of Todd's, Todd's cultural, <laughs> Todd's cultural moment. Um, I think it's a great film anyway, regardless of what, what era we're living in but i would love to see lady bird get a lot of nominations and i would love to see greta gerwig get a nomination for best director so that that's another thing that i'm, I'm not like. i'm not gonna say anything because I, I don't want to jinx yeah, anything but you know i'm possible I'm things very, i very i think i think lady bird is a great film anyway but My favorite film of 2017 but i, I if wonderful. if if the moment that if the zeitgeist that we're living in right now pushes Lady Berg to get a lot of, a lot of nominations, so be it. I'm 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 all for it. I will add that I I mean speak to Todd's points about Get Out. I'd love to see Daniel Kaluuya get a, yeah. a, a best actor nomination. That'd be a very great thing to see. Which that'd I be a think, huge win. Which I think also is very plausible, but at the same time that'd just be something I'd be very happy about. Also, if Valerian broke through with any technical award, oh wow, I'd be super thrilled. Oh wow, well. you're not, really yeah. I, that would now be your fan. No, I've already talked about the things I expect to happen. This is the one thing that is shooting for the stars, but I'd still yeah, be happy. Yeah. I'd be delighted to see that. I would right. be delighted. Cause cause that's on my top ten. I mean, there's plenty of films I know won't get anything that I very much would happy to champion, but that's one where yeah. like, yeah, that, that'd be wonderful to see, awesome. even if it's unrealistic. All right, that was enough feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. Good feedback this week, people. Keep Thank it up. you. Uh, let's move on now. Let's get to... Jeez, we're getting late. Uh, what, what time is it, Abe? Oh, it's time for a quick game here. I don't know if Aaron was actually the original uh, musician for... <clears throat> Phantom Thread, but ah, anyway, Politics. moving on. Yeah, uh, I've got a game for you guys very quick. It's called All Things DDL and PTA. I've got uh, 10 questions here. The last three are multiple choice, but um, basically just questions about the movies that they've been in and also their their awards. But uh, feel free to buzz in with your name if you have the right answer or if you think you have the right answer and tell me what the answer is. But these are all just various general trivia questions. You're going to answer us. You're going to ask us really stupid questions. We're going to say our name and the answer. That's correct. Okay, yeah. good. Got it. All right, here we go. Wonderful. Wonderful. Daniel Day-Lewis has been nominated for five Academy Awards and won three times. What are the names of the two movies in which he lost? Huh. Huh. Anybody? <laughs> That's harder than I expected it to be. Wait, Mark. Mark. Uh, Gangs of New York and In the Name of the Father. That's correct. Okay. Hmm. 
He lost to Tom Hanks for Philadelphia and also to uh, uh, Adrian Brody for The Pianist. It's my left foot. That's the other one that he won for. I was trying he to won think. for that. Yeah, I was trying to think. It's like, well, he won for this one and lost. I couldn't decipher between the two. Okay. Well, oh, by the way, just tangent. Uh, we all think that Daniel Day-Lewis is going to get a nomination for Best Actor. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That seems, no, I'm actually that really not sure. It yeah. seems more up in the air because the acting field, not that the performances are weak, but it seems a little, It's compared to the actress field, it seems like a weaker category. So it's hard to be like, like beyond the, like, Oldman and like Chalamet are definitely probably in there, right? I mean, right. Old, Oldman, well, obviously. Oldman. Oldman Chal- Chalamet, a good chance. I mean, I can, you can see that. But um, we'll see. I mean, yeah, there, there's, uh, what about uh, James Franco? I, I mean, nah, I don't think so. I, I it's a possibility. I wouldn't say it's. Totally a, I wouldn't say it's a guarantee. In the same way, I wouldn't say Daniel Day right. Lewis is a guarantee. No, it's it's, it's yeah. definitely not a guarantee. Yeah. yeah, I think Daniel Day Lewis is fairly likely, and I think Daniel Kalea is actually pretty likely too. That's it. That's high in there. <laughs> All right, number two. What four movies has PTA been nominated for for Academy Award for Best Writing? What four movies? <laughs> Aaron. Aaron. Boogie Nights, Magnolia, Master, and There Will Be Blood. Incorrect. No, it's the other one. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> Todd or Mark for the Steel? I'll tell you that Boogie Nights and Magnolia are correct. Uh, Mark, uh, you, you said Boogie Nights and Magnolia, There uh, there Will Be Blood, and uh, Inherent Vice. That's correct. It's Vice, yes. wow. yeah, not Master. Steel there. Vice, yeah. Next one here. There Will Be Blood is PTA's film that earned the most Academy Awards. Which two categories did they win for? Aaron. Aaron. Actor and cinematography. That's correct. Hmm. Next one here. <laughs> yeah. Next one here. Excluding Lincoln, every DDL film has earned less than $100 million, which is Daniel Day-Lewis' top grossing movie aside from Lincoln. Mark. Mark. Uh, Last of the Mohicans? That is incorrect. Uh, Aaron. Aaron. Gangs of New York? Gangs of New York is correct. Huh. Last of the Mohicans came in third place, 75 million. Gangs of New York, 77, and uh, Lincoln, over 100 million. Oh, if inflation, I'm sure it's probably Mohicans. Um, I didn't check on the inflation part, but just maybe. Guessing. I'm just guessing. Yeah. 70, 75 to 77, I mean, that's a pretty good, yeah. pretty good odds there. Pretty good odds. Yeah. Next one here. Two actors have received their first and only Best Supporting Actor nominations from PTA movies. Can you name one of them? Wait, say it again? Two actors have received their first and only Best Supporting Actor nominations from PTA movies. Can you name one of them? Mark Julianne Mark. Moore? That is incorrect. She's received multiple no- yeah. supporting nominations. Todd, John Todd. C. Riley. John C. Riley is incorrect. Aaron. Well, I know it now. Aaron. But... Is it Philip Seymour Hoffman? It's not Philip Seymour. He's received multiple first multiple supporting actors. Oh. oh, I know it too. Okay, I'm gonna give Todd the 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 extra. Well, I think I think Mark had it first, so I don't I, I defer to him. Mark? What? No, no. I, oh, I, oh, I know it. it fucking, and I hate this. Guy I know too. it. <laughs> wait, wait. It's Mark? Oh, Todd, it's Tom Cruise. Yep, that's one of them. Paul Dano's oh. the other, right? Paul Dano's not yeah. the other. Oh. Burt Reynolds <laughs> is the other. Hmm. Burt Reynolds nominated for Boogie Nights. That's his only supporting. That's his only Academy Award nomination. Wait, it's not Paul Dano. It's not Paul Dano was not nominated for an Academy Award for. No, he wasn't. Award. No. Oh, well, oh makes... I see. The only okay. nominee for supporting so that, that makes sense. Not. Okay. Yeah. Next one here. According to IMDb, PTA is given credit for cinematography and Phantom Thread, which we already talked about, which is multiple people. Additionally, Robert Ellswit has been his his cinematographer for all of his movies except which one? Todd. Todd. Uh, we're talking about Paul Thomas Anderson. Is the master? That's correct. Yeah. 
Who yeah. did the master? It's uh, Millimere. Yep, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Next one here. What is Daniel Day Lewis called by his Mohican tribe in Last of the Mohicans? Oh God. Oh my God. This has been on like Anna and I are going to watch this list pretty soon for a while, <laughs> and I haven't revisited it a bit. Clue. It's an Avenger. Aaron. Aaron. Is it Hawkeye? Hawkeye is correct. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's like, which one makes the most sense? Thor. <laughs> Thor. <laughs> All right, next one here. This is multiple choice. Which actor has appeared in the most Paul Thomas Anderson movies? A, John C. Riley. B, Philip Seymour Hoffman. C, Melora Waters. Or D, Louis Guzman. Uh, oh, I could go either way. Oh, it's, uh, it's Philip Seymour Hoffman. Todd, I'm going to uh, accept it even though you didn't say it. But yes, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Five, Hard Eight, Boogie Nights, Magnolia. Punch Rock Love and The Master. The other ones that I aimed have been in three of Paul Thomas Anderson's movies. Mm. Uh, next one here. Excluding his documentary June June, this is the lowest scoring Paul Thomas Anderson movie according to Metacritic. A. Heart Eight. B. Punch Rock Love. C. Magnolia. Or D. Inherent Vice. Todd. D. Todd. Inherent Vice. That is incorrect. Aaron. What? According to Metacritic. <clears throat> Aaron. Is it is it um, Heart Eight? It is not Heart Eight. Hmm. Mark with a steal? What, what were the choices? A, hard eight, <laughs> B, punch drunk love, C, magnolia, or D, inherent vice. The lowest scoring according to medical. Oh, punch drunk love. That is incorrect. Magnolia. Wow. wow. It's 77. Oh, hard eight had 78. Punch drunk love, 78. Inherent vice, 81. <laughs> so nobody gets that one. Huh. Uh, last question here. And this is going to be a tiebreaker between Aaron and Todd, potentially. Uh, excluding his documentary June June, this is the highest scoring PTA movie according to Rotten Tomatoes. A. Punch Drunk Love. B. The Master. C. Phantom Thread. D. Boogie Nights. Or E. There Will Be Blood. Todd. E. Todd. There Will Be Blood. There Will Be Blood is incorrect. Fuck. A- Aaron. Aaron. Is it Boogie Nights? Boogie Nights is correct. And the tiebreaker. <laughs> nice. Boogie Nights has 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. Punch on Glove has 79%. The Master has 85%. Phantom Blood 92%. And the Ruby Blood 91%. Aaron, wow, squeaked by with the win there. Oh, boy. I did and it. And that was games. I'm doing a karate kick like Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> Congratulations, everybody. That was, a, that was our quick run of games here. Hey, good challenging game, Abe. Yeah, you're welcome. All right, uh, let's let's start wrapping things up here. Let's move on to out now, out now. These are movies that are coming out on Blu-ray or DVD this week. Uh, first up, we have Geostorm. It's it's not as fun as I thought it would be, but it's kind of fun. <laughs> uh, next up, we have Jigsaw: The Return to the Saw franchise. Cardo's terrible. It. Oh no, I don't even want to hear it from you. No, you can't even come <laughs> no, through with that. It's nah, don't equivocate on this. It's garbage. It's, yep. Next, it's not great. Okay, all right. Uh, That said, me and Professor Mike Dillon have a really good episode about it on (laughs) iTunes. Uh, Next up is thank you for for your service. It was the Miles Teller army drama. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but oh no, I didn't see that. Curious. I actually thought that was very good. Okay, Um, I heard good things about that one. The the it's it's a very extremely well acted movie. Actually, it was one of those where I actually thought Miles Teller had a, a good shot of getting a nomination before a lot of other stuff came along but it's it's based on true events um but this going back to a little bit one of those questions that were asked about like sort of how true to life it is 
if there's like sort of a crime element that comes into the movie towards the end that I'm like, this is not interesting. And that may have actually been completely true to life. And I'm like, they should have cut that out if it was true to life. Because Mm. to me, like dealing with PTSD and all that stuff was actually very interesting. Um, And then it just detours into this other stuff where I'm like, this feels like a a movie to me and not a real story. Since that's the same writer as American Sniper, it makes me wonder. It's like, yeah, that stuff I tend to find be the interesting parts, but then it kind of dovetails away from it. It's like, well, yeah. 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 Miles Teller did two films with that were released within a week of each other. And they're hard for me to like separate. The other one was only the brave, which was about firefighters. Amazing. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I saw it. I thought it was fine. I mean, it was, it's a sort of a rosy picture of firefighters. So it's, it's Mm. not like unique, but it was, it was pretty well done. I I, am supposed to get that to review when it comes out on Blu-ray. I'm looking forward to seeing it, but uh, I've heard some good things, but it has a great ass too. I mean, you look at the cat, it's yeah, got a real deep bench. Is Tim Riggins in that movie? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, Riggins is cool. in the movie. Confirmed. Pass, pass. <laughs> <laughs> we root, we root for Tim Riggins on this podcast. I will not stand for that guy. <laughs> Next up is Goodbye Christopher Robin. This is the film with Donald Gleason and the story that inspires Winnie the Pooh, I believe. Okay, I, I get that confused with the the one with um, who played the Beast. Dan Stevens. About... Yeah. Which movie? And writing Christmas Carol. Anyway. The, the man who invented Christmas. Yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah very different. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> In both but... title and story. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> All right. Next up is the killing of a sacred deer. I am a big fan of this movie, the Yorgos Lanthimos film with Colin Farrell and Nicole Kidman, and, and Barry Keegan. Um, <laughs> this is it's a good one. Have you watched? Have you watched it yet? I haven't yet. No. Okay. You guys, fans, either of you, Mark, Todd. I never saw it actually. Of which? What are we talking the about? The killing of a sacred deer. I never saw it. Oh, okay. Were you, I know, Mark, you're okay on the lobster, if not negative on it overall. <laughs> yeah, so you're getting into like the reason why I sort of avoided it. I'm not a big fan of the lobster, and then Dogtooth, I couldn't even finish it. So <laughs> i just not sure if I'm a fan. But I've, I've had people tell me, oh, no, 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 this one's different. You need to see Killing of a Sacred Deer. It's, it's better than all of them, so I don't know. I like the lobster a little bit more, but still, I think it's certainly unique. That's, that's oh, actually the lobster. The first half of the lobster, I really was on board. It's when I'm they, on, I'm they, there with you, Mark. Yeah, when they I'm end like... up in the forest is when I was like, all right, I'm done. Some of us like the whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> so it, it turns away from being dark funny to just being like, man, it's this is funny. just like. Anyway, <laughs> Todd, are you a lobster fan? Um, I never saw a lobster. Dog Tooth was a movie that I sort of respected for what it was doing without really enjoying. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just didn't go out of my way to see the other ones. Killing of Sacred Deer I actually did want to see. But, um, right. you know, uh, then I went along with my life. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how Todd makes you feel so good even though he's being an asshole to you. Like, it's really... <laughs> it's very refreshing. It's, it's, an, it's an interesting choice that he does. <laughs> this late in the evening. <laughs> Next up is... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> We're all friends. <laughs> Next up is Opera. This is the latest one from Dario Argento, which I have not seen, um, but I did want to mention it because Dario Argento is still cranking out films, guys. For so whatever they... reason, I'm already no. squeamish thinking about it. So, you know. Um, let's see. From Warner Archive this week, The Hanging Tree. This is an old Gary Cooper film that I wanted to bring up because why not? <laughs> I like okay. it when Warner Archive brings back random films uh, that are, you know, quite good, have good stars in them. 
And lastly, speaking of random films, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I remember watching that cartoon series growing up. Way different from the movie. <laughs> yep. But yeah. that movie is now uh, on, D- on Blu-ray as well. Okay. Now, that now, now the next up is extremely cool. These things are now streaming on Netflix that I can make mention of. First up is Grace and Frankie Season 4. I've, I've not seen any of these seasons, it. but it's still on, so people certainly like it. Right. <laughs> Um, let's see what else. Bad Day for the Cut. I mentioned this film a few weeks ago because it came out on Blu-ray. This is like an Irish, um, dark crime comedy. Uh, <laughs> what? I, I've seen it at this point. It's quite good. It's in the vein of films for like Jeremy Saunier, like, um, Blue Ruin or Green Room. Oh, just, interesting. Just more okay. Irish. Um, and, uh, yeah. So if you're a fan of films like that, then this one certainly kind of fits that same sort of bill. Uh, I know it's, uh, one of a friend of the show, Jason Coleman's favorite films of last year. uh, yeah it's a good one and lastly uh todd glass act happy if you're a fan of todd glass the standard comedian he has a new netflix special comedian yeah yeah Yeah. all right next week's show next week we'll be talking the maze runner colon the death cure all right closing that chapter it's you know you talk phantom thread then you talk a film that's just as good that's that's what we're doing here two hours and 30 minutes yeah it's a lot it's a little long oh is it oh i, I was just kidding oh. no it's it's like 220 221 actually. that's a long movie i i've seen the film and director west ball was there he was talking about how one 121 like 141 is like some kind of ideal time for like bigger movies like this according to studio well, at least he didn't at least he didn't break it up into two parts at least yeah exactly at least he didn't break it up into two parts you know that way you don't have to oh, yeah, he was he was adamant about that actually which i respect yeah. for better for worse so but uh, that will be uh, what we'll be discussing next week. I look forward to that discussion. It's been multiple years since we last been talked a few about years, a Yeah, film, I mean, but... we had to get over Dylan O'Brien's injury and also see him in American Assassin. So, you know. We don't, don't, we don't need to bring up a American Assassin anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that movie's gone. That's last year. <laughs> let's, go, let's move on. What should people go and see now, and what do you plan to see next? Mark Hoban, what should people see in theaters right now? Um, Gosh, I mean, I would probably... What's playing now? I mean, everything that's up for award is out right now. You also yeah. mentioned Jumanji, which you really liked. <laughs> yeah, Jumanji. Well, I mean, that that's like kind of like the biggest hit right now. I mean, the, I guess the the post is out. Um, Star Wars is still playing. Uh, Phantom Thread. I mean, I, I enjoyed that. Probably Phantom Thread. I mean, that's the movie where, you know, I Tanya is still out there. What do you see next? Gosh, I I'm not sure. Uh, maybe that Winchester, the house that ghosts built. Oh, okay. I actually I have a screener for Hostiles, and I know that that's like going wide, wide uh, this weekend, week. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I started to watch it, and it was just so depressing. I didn't finish it. That's the problem. Spoilers. The problem. It does not get more undepressing. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. It's better if I go to a theater and sit and I'm a captive audience and I watch it. But if I start to watch it at home and then, you know, you've got like the phone and other distractions. Um, and so Hostiles doesn't stand up to that test. Uh, See, I, I had that same problem when I, so I saw Beast of No Nation. I saw that in a screening and I was happy about that because that's, you know, it's a rough movie. And right. while I don't tend to get distracted necessarily, that would be one where I'm like, how much is my attention going to be kind of, you know, moved along when I'm at home compared to a theater? And I had that problem when I watched the um, first Who Killed My Father, the Angelina Jolie movie, because yep, yep. Uh, mm-hmm. I was it, it, because I wasn't at a screening and the movie's so kind of depressing and dark. I was like, right. yeah, I can, I can maybe shift well, my eyes a bit I've sometimes. Got, I've got news for you. Don't read the book because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's super that sounds, depressing. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, Todd, how about you? What do you, what do people see in theaters right now? Phantom Thread for sure. Um, you know, uh, I, I, what I really actually like about the post is, um, that while I agree that it is, it shares this sort of, um, uh, reporting, um, you know, uh, shoe leather DNA of spotlight. What I think actually makes it stand out is the fact that it's less to me, a story about the Pentagon papers than it is about, uh, this woman sort of becoming empowered, um, at, at a job that she has inherited and, and that she finally is ready to sort of take up the mantle as it's as a leader. Um, and I think that's pretty remarkable. And the fact that it is based on a true story is pretty great. Um, so I, so I definitely recommend that. Um, I also think that, um, Jack Black is delightful and, uh, and Jumanji is really pretty terrific. Um, uh, so those are the ones that I would say, I would say if you, uh, you can definitely wait until you go to your local red box to watch den of thieves you don't need to rush out <laughs> see that um you know i can't believe it wasn't made for stars in the first place so um so yeah um and uh you were i assume you're gonna ask me what i'm seeing next i don't yeah. know for sure um i hope that maybe one of the movies i see next is black panther um okay. and i don't know how soon that will be but um I hope that it's very soon because I'm very excited. Sure. I'm very uh, excited about Black Panther as well. For sure. I think that's coming up. This like guy it. jumping on the on the <laughs> on the bandwagon. I <laughs> uh, definitely recommend Ladybird and for whatever reason I, I guess uh, you know Paddington too because people have been saying that's great. So go see both, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, next Maze Runner and also again if I have time Paddington and a whole, whole bunch of other screeners that that uh, I have to catch up with. Uh, yeah, Paddington 2 easily is the thing you should go see in theaters right now. It is fantastic. Uh, Phantom Thread, of course, is out now as well in a limited release, but it's spread a lot wider, so there's a good chance you can find it. Also, The Post is also around there. There's a lot of great things, but mainly Paddington 2 is just, just wonderful. It's a wonderful movie. I've heard. Yeah. I mean, it, how does it compare to the original? It's better than the original. I mean, the original is very good, too. The original is I mean, also the original really good. Was pleasant. The, original, the first one was really good, too. I, I love the original. This one's better than that. Like, it's, it's just, wow. if they keep making more Paddington movies and, and that come out in January, I'll be like, oh, great. I've seen all these awards contenders already might as well go see this Paddington movie and it's probably going to be amazing um the next thing yeah I'm also at a loss because I've seen Maze Runner already so I guess Winchester is probably the next thing I'll see which I hope is good it's got it's got what Jason Clark and um, Helen Mirren and it's from the Spirit Brothers who hopefully this is more like predestination than it is their fucking Jigsaw movie so let's see we'll we'll see we'll see how that goes (laughs) um but yeah great with all that said, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work at thecodazeek.com. All my reviews can be found there. I write for ysblue.com, and we live entertainment. You can also find me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe? You can find more fun stuff over on my Instagram, oakleydokley, and twitter.com slash walrusmoose. Hashtag, please don't leave Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> Mark Hoban, where can people find more of your work online? You can follow my uh, personal blog, fastfilmreviews.com, and you can also follow me on Twitter, Mark underscore Hoban. Todd Gilchrist. Uh, you can find me um, right now on Twitter, at MT Gilchrist. You can find me on Instagram as Best Dressed Todd. Uh, you can, uh, someday soon, uh, you will be able to read my, my writing again on, uh, on, a, on a site called moviebill.com. Um, and for the time being, um, I guess I've written some reviews for the rap and for, I've written a couple of articles for variety. So if you want to read 
really good articles there. Uh, <laughs> those are places to look for my name. Thanks. So. You can find all the other episodes about Now There and Abe over on iTunes as well as on Audioboom. Listen to us over HHWLD, SoundCloud, or Podomatic. Feel free to email us any thoughts you may have had on Phantom Thread or anything else we discussed today over at OutNowPodcast at gmail.com. Run on Facebook at Facebook.com slash OutNowPodcast or tweet us at Twitter.com slash OutNow underscore podcast. And of course, find plenty of gifts of awkward facial expressions from Daniel Day-Lewis. Send those over to us at OutNowPodcast.tumblr.com. <laughs> um, Mark, Todd, thank you both for joining us. Thank you both. Time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you so much. For sure. And until next week, when we just figure out if there is a cure after all, that's going to do it for this week's podcast. So until next time, so long. And goodbye. It's funny how Todd makes you feel so good, even though he's being an asshole to you. Like, it's really... <laughs> it's very refreshing. It's, it's, an, it's an interesting choice that he does <laughs> this late in the evening. <laughs> Next up is... Uh... <laughs> We're all friends. <laughs>